All right. No no jackhammers, no lawn instruments. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, that was the funniest coincidence ever. <laughs> so anyway, Serenity Caldwell is here. Yesterday, we tried to record this episode, and I had a jackhammer outside my window. <laughs> and when, <laughs> when that stopped, <laughs> a lawn crew showed up outside yep. Serenity's window with a, a riding mower. The, the biggest lawnmower I have ever seen for a portable lawn crew. It was uh, quite something, but not very conducive to podcasting. <laughs> like that big John Deere that uh, Tony yeah. <laughs> Tony Stark was supposed to fix and never did. Yeah, pretty much that. Only noisier and louder. That's right. He never did. Never did fix the lawnmower, <laughs> the tractor, whatever it is. The the MacGuffin tractor. Right. Uh, so I don't know. There's a lot's going on. Uh, new uh, uh, IMAX. No new. Yeah. Ma- no new MacBooks though. No new MacBooks. They are still on the on the watch list. I don't know if we'll get new MacBooks before the end of the year. I would have guessed. I think if we would have, it would have happened all at once. Yeah, yeah. I I don't see. It. There's no need to have a third non-existent event. <laughs> this is where being a podcaster, I'm starting to get lazy. I am not super well informed on the new iMacs. Are you? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm <laughs> good fairly. That you're here. Yeah, <laughs> I can. I got you covered, John. Um, no, uh, Renee got the information a little bit early and was able to uh, basically give me an FAQ of epic proportions to to fill out. So we've got new 21.5 inch IMAX is the biggest news, um, and they are 4K Retina. It's only like the original 27 inch IMAX. It's only the top end model that's Retina, so you can still get 21.5 inch IMAX that are your your normal uh, poor poorer than average resolution quality uh, in comparison to the rest of the Mac and iOS line, but those started I think fourteen ninety nine and four um, K or slightly more than four K I think it's like four K point five with uh, improved color uh, definition they're using the same um, I don't know the phrase off the top of my head because I'm a bad film student, but they're basically right. using the same uh, color profiles as you would with the digital projectors. So it allows it to be more true to life when you're editing, when you're color correcting both video and photo- photography. And the 27-inch IMAX get that too. They don't get a boost above their 5K. They're still 5K and magical and uh, and far, far too <laughs> able to just get sucked into their beautiful screen. But they also have improved color definition and, uh, and they get Skylake uh, into next generation processor which has been a long time coming but no thunderbolt 3 um and the 21.5 inch imax are still stuck on broadwell because the integrated intel processor the graphics processor doesn't play nice with skylake yet because roadmaps uh yeah so now my year old 5k imac that i'm looking at is outdated (laughs) A little bit outdated. I was actually I was looking at some of the. I think Jason Snell's review had initial benchmarks from Geekbench, and it was saying, "Oh yeah, the new twenty one point five inch iMac outpaces some four or five K twenty seven inch iMacs." And I'm like, I, I guess I'm kind of glad I waited now, though. Yeah, I I'm still I'm gonna go in for the twenty one point five inch. So the twenty seven inch is still gonna cook, kick my bacon with fancy Skylake mumbledy jumble. Yeah, I don't feel too bad about it. Though. I mean, it's inevitable. No. It's a whole you got a whole year as the king of the hill. Um, exactly. <laughs> and I still subscribe to the. I I like to buy a Mac, ma- max it out, and then use it until you know for years until it gets low. Because I still find it even with Dropbox and iCloud and other things, I still find that it takes me forever to get a Mac set up just the way I want it. 
Yeah, even, I mean, it's been, it's gotten a lot better than it used to be, where I, I still remember the days of just having to clone my hard drive because the idea of in, reinstalling all of my applications and tweaking my preferences just made me want to throw up. Uh, but yeah, I I feel the same way. I still have a, a 2008 MacBook Pro, unibody MacBook Pro, that I put an SSD in three years ago, and it's still almost as fast as my MacBook Air. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a pain in the butt because it's 15 inches, um, and it's not really a, a, a super portable machine, and it's not Retina, but it's still one of those things where I'm like, well, it's still perfectly good, and it's still fast. I feel weird just being like, no, sorry, you're, you're going to go in a drawer. I'm not going to use you anymore. You really can't do that for an iMac. No, I, I really, I, I, what I did last year when I bought this is I just bought the best one that they would sell me. I just maxed out the RAM. I got the one terabyte SSD. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it was, I, I forget how much that cost. I think it was like $3,000, $3,500. Sounds about right. Um, some, some obscene amount of money. But my thinking is just max it out and I'll use it for at least four years. And, yeah. And then by the time I upgrade, it'll be nice. But anyway, it's the, the, the color stuff hurts a little bit because... Yeah. So I think they correct me if I'm wrong. You probably know more about this than me. To me, the the, the old consumer gold standard was the sRGB color space. Yes, correct. And the 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 basic gist, if you just want to get a handle on this, is that the new color space that the that all of these Retina displays, both the 21 inch and the the 27 inch, is significantly bigger than sRGB. It's it's much yes. more of a pro color space. Very much so, and very, very similar to the kind of output that you're going to get on digital projectors. I'm looking up, I'm looking up Renee's FAQ now, so I can actually uh, have specific terms. They're using DCI-P3, uh, which is the same color space used by digital movie theaters. Yeah. Uh, and they're using a different LED uh, type display now. It's um, a more advanced red-green phosphor LED. Uh, which allows them to do better color balance and hit wider ranges of colors, which that combined with the new color space really, really makes for some crystal clear photos and video. Not not that the 5K was hurting in that before, but I I do feel that professional professional editors are going to hear that and just be like, damn it, why do I own a Mac Pro? Why do I own a 5K? Why don't I own this machine? Why can't I just replace it? Oh, wait, I can. I just have to spend a ton of money. Um, and I think it's funny. It's funny the way that even with the Macs, they're sort of, as they march towards this all-retina lineup. I mean, and it's it's a year-by-year march, where now it's by far the overwhelming majority of the project products are all-retina. Finally, yeah. Um, and it's funny the way it sort of follows, like, the precedent that they've set with the iPads. Like, to me, the the 21-inch iMac is sort of like the the iPad mini compared to the iPad Air, which Absolutely. is the 27-inch iMac. So it gets everything a year ahead. It goes retina first. Now, a year later, you can only get the 27-inch in retina. Mm-hmm. And the 21-inch does exactly what the 27-inch did last year, which is there's a high-end model with a retina display, but you can still get the non-retina. So my guess is by next year, there will be no more non-retina iMacs. Yeah, there will only be even higher resolution retina iMacs. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I really like this. It's a from a business standpoint, it seems like a good way to roll things out. Where they're like, oh, these displays are too expensive for your average user to want to pony eight top three thousand plus dollars. So we're gonna put them in the high end models for the people who are really gonna appreciate them and be able to spend money on them. And then the more money they spend on them, the more orders that we can place with our suppliers. And the more orders we can place with our suppliers, we can bring the cost down, and it just trickles down into the rest of the rest of the line. Um, the, what do you call it? The, the low end model, I don't even know what it used to be, but it's, it is kind of a, it's, it seems kind of wimpy. It's only yeah. 1.6. And I know, you know, like we, the, none of us really talk about gigahertz anymore. I mean, it's, no. it's gotten away from us, but when it's half, half the speed in gigahertz as the one that's only $400 more, it kind of sticks out. I it's mean, definitely an upsell. I right. mean, I have to assume that these the low end models are really designed for the education market or they're designed for the folks who, oh, well, you just need an iMac in your place of business or you need a, an iMac that's essentially a glorified display to play a movie on. Yeah. Um, because I don't know about education anymore because I think that the, so much of education has gone to laptop form factors of yeah. some kind. You know, a lot of Chromebooks, let's, you know, for sure. No question. But, uh, you know, it doesn't seem to me like school and, and it is like a practical aspect of that, too. Like if you're going to go with IMAX, you need to set them up in a permanent spot, mm-hmm. whereas the whole gist of moving, you know, especially like in what I'm familiar with with my son with the elementary school, uh, it's that they can take the Chromebooks and and the MacBooks out when they need them. And set them up, you know, on the regular desks that they use for everything else. Yeah, you don't need to go into a separate computer room. I think I'm more, I'm more thinking administration wise. Yeah, exactly. Where you're looking at, yeah, nonprofits or people who really don't have a a big uh, budget for their electronics, which right. is sad a little bit in 2015. Or if you're just going to use it as the machine at the front desk for people mm-hmm. to sign in when they come into the office or something, and you really exactly don't need performance. If you haven't switched already to an iPad. Yeah. Uh, what else are people complaining about? I know people are complaining. <laughs> people are complaining that the hard drive is fifty four hundred RPM. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I would rather complain that there are not SSDs in the in the iMac right. by default. But you know, if I guess if we want to complain about hard drive speed, we can complain about hard drive speed. But I think it has something to do with the twenty one point five inches, a two point five inch hard drive, as opposed to a three point five yeah. inch hard drive. So a little bit trickier there. Yeah, and in a weird way, even though it's 21 inches, it's sort of like the, in some ways, I think the guts of a a laptop. Yeah, well, when you think about how thin the 21.5 inch iMac is, and just how much space of that has to be filled with, oh, you know, giant retina display and cooling said giant retina display, you really don't have all of that much more area to to put in high level chips. Without necessary, unless unless they figure out a way to flatten silicon even more, like oh yes, we're going to line line the edges of the iMac display with uh, with silicon chips now. Um, I did notice too on the twenty one inch, the storage for Flash only goes up to five hundred twelve. So if yeah. you want a terabyte, you're looking at. But I guess that kind of makes sense. I feel like because a terabyte of flash storage is still very expensive uh, relative to hard drive prices for sure. Uh, and I guess once you're in that sort of budget range, you're looking at the 27-inch anyway. Yeah, when I was pricing out my 21.5, and for me, I I prefer slightly the 21.5 space for my desk because I 
I don't know, the 27 inch like is gorgeous, but I feel myself getting lost in that space, especially in Retina, where it's just, it's too much, too much for me, unless I'm editing video, in which case, oh, this is nice. Pixel for pixel 4K is great. Uh, but when I was pricing out my 21.5 inch iMac, uh, I, I was looking at the price and I was like, all right, so I'm upgrading to a fusion drive and I'm upgrading the memory and, you know, um, put in on a magic trackpad because, oh, magic mice. And then I'm, I'm looking at the price. And I'm like, this is basically the price of a mid-level to high-level 27-inch stock iMac. Yeah. And I, yeah, I think you're absolutely right where people look at that price and they're like, well, but I could go bigger. And bigger would make, you know, bigger is always better, right? And uh, for the most part, I, I, you know, again, there are certain circumstances where I actually think a 21.5 is better than a 27. But I think for the vast majority of users, they're like, oh, I can get a bigger screen for the same amount of tweaking as, you know, I would pay for trying to upgrade the internals of a 21.5. Sign me up. Yeah. Uh, is all of the RAM, do you know this, is the RAM soldered onto the motherboard like it is in the 21.5 it is not in the 21.7 which i or 21.7 the 20 the 27 inch yeah so it's just another way where there is sort of a consumer slash pro split between 21 and 27 Mm -hmm. it's very i think the 21 is still very much marketed towards the entry not even the entry level user but the user who either has their first mac or is about to get their first mac and needs a desktop over a laptop or an ipad right um, I kind of feel, I, I understand, you know, the, I, there's a couple people on Twitter and who've emailed me about the soldering of the Ram. And it mm. seems like that's a real sticking point for a certain segment of the audience. Um, but I really feel like it's almost like we're lucky that you can do it on, on any of the machines anymore. Like, yeah. it's just not the way of the future. Like no. your computers from Apple come out of China completely set Built, for the yeah. most part. So my, you know, I, I, you know, take it, you know, so that the fact that you can still add your diddle with the RAM on your own on the 27 inch, take that as a win. And I, I wouldn't lose much sleep over the 21.5 being, you know, you choose eight or 16 and live with it forever. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I would, I would much prefer to be able to remove and, and twiddle with RAM and there's an, there's a model to do that. But for the, again, the average user, I just don't think cares. No, and I feel like it's another it? it's another way that the iOS devices again. I I you know Apple keep, people keep asking and Apple keeps saying no, we're not going to have one operating system for everything. And I really think that they're serious about it. But they are you you can see where you know one platform is going by where the other platform has gone first. And no the question. the iOS hardware model of there's nothing that you can alter or adjust there's no way to put a um a memory card in to expand the storage or anything like that is definitely the way the mac is heading yeah i and i don't necessarily think that's a bad thing anymore i know uh, there's a lot of people have been arms where it's oh it's less repairable and oh what if i want to tinker with my computer well there there's still ways to build your own computer it's just not going to be from apple like yeah. it I don't see that there's something wrong with Apple saying, you know what, we know what the best processors in the market are going to be. We know what the the best memory is going to be. And we're going to package it up in a, you know, in a package that actually makes sense for you as a user that would give you real world usage. 
I mean, we've never been able to tinker with an iPhone's internals. And I don't think anybody's complaining about that because most people wouldn't know how to even begin to solder microarchitecture. Right. It's only because the iMac's architecture is big enough that we, at one point, were able to feasibly play around with it. That we're like, yeah, we can totally build a better computer than Apple. No problem. Apple's totally wrong. You don't need eight gigabytes. You need more than eight gigabytes of RAM. And in that, I kind of agree with the general population on. But but still, I, I don't think that it's necessarily a, a bad thing. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, you touched on this a few minutes ago, but it's at this point, and I, I don't think the Mac Pro is dead. I think that there will be a new one at some point, but who knows when. And yeah. you don't have to just look at the new Darth Vader Mac Pro. <laughs> you could just look back at uh, maybe even going back close to 10 years now that the Mac mm-hmm. Pro just does not see updates anywhere near on a yearly schedule. No, and it, uh, well, it doesn't make sense also to be perfectly honest, because the Mac Pro has such different internals than the other than the other two lines. And because their internals are very, at least at this point, very hogtied to Intel's rollout schedule. It's like it doesn't make sense for the for the Mac Pro to be updated until they can have a processor that has full Thunderbolt 3 functionality. So they could, you know, say, release a retina display with uh, with Thunderbolt 3 so that people could have their their 4K display without an iMac. Um, but it doesn't like, I don't know. It seems, it seems silly to me to push like incremental updates to the MacBook pro or the Mac, the Mac pro, because right. the only, the only people who are buying it are at this point are serious pros because the, my Mac has filled that kind of semi pro hole. So if you're buying a serious pro machine, you're only going to upgrade your serious pro machine. Like we were talking about earlier, when your old pro machine is about ready to die or yeah. it, it does something so spectacularly different that it's going to be better for you. Yeah, but for some people, I think it's clearly you know the the big iMac, the twenty seven inch iMac, is the the proper pro machine for them. Like I'm thinking, like photo- especially like photographers and video editors. Oh yeah, um, because of the extra color space, because there is no Retina display from Apple. You know, the only way to get it anything like a Retina display is sort of a hack at this point uh, with the Mac Pro. Um, it's, I think it's clearly the better machine. But then I wonder if they buy them now, are they going to be mad if, you know, Mac Pros are announced at WWDC or something like that? Yeah, where it's like, oh, now we have a Thunderbolt 3 Retina display. I mean, when you're talking about that kind of a space, it depends on what project you're working on right now, right? If they need Retina support, if they're working on 4K video and actively, you know, doing that for their job, they're going to want a good 4K monitor, and the real question is, well, can I get that from a third party and is it still going to look great? Or do I want to go to, you know, a machine that has DCI color space and use that instead? And I think that might be the the selling fact. Will they will they be then grumpy if Apple's like, yes, now we have a pro that supports a retina display there. But if they needed that functionality six months ago, then that that announcement six months later isn't going to help them. Like it isn't going to help them finish this project today. Yeah, maybe, and you know, maybe this is wishful thinking, but maybe once I like, I feel like the in a lot of ways, all of these machines, the the move to Retina has been difficult for every single thing because it's always a lot because you're effectively going to four times the pixels. Mm-hmm. You know, at least at some point, you're going to say, "Here's a new, here's a new machine that replaces." one from last year and it has four times the pixels right i mean and so like it was a huge deal when the iphone 4 went retina in 2010 and the imac or the ipad took a while to follow 
uh, Macs took a long time to follow, and it was only on one model, the 15-inch MacBook Pro at first. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like the Mac Pro is the last, and it's the hardest because they can't just seal it all up. Like with the, you know, remember the the crazy story about how they got the 5K iMac last year was with this weird internal. You know, how, how are they driving all those pixels when it seems like there isn't a graphics card to do it? And they had to write their own, you know, their own, yeah, their own video piece. controller. <laughs> right. They had to invent hardware to do it. Um, with a Mac Pro, they really are stuck waiting on Thunderbolt 3 because it has to be a cable. Yeah, it's, they can't they can't write their own graphics controller uh, in a machine that they're not, you know, they, they just don't have the they don't have the flexibility right now without having a display that they connect via Thunderbolt 3 or something along those lines. So maybe once they make, this is where I'm going, maybe once they make that leap and maybe, you know, I I can't help but think it's a 2016 thing that at Mm -hmm. some point in 2016, whether it's early in the year or WWDC or next October at the latest, that they'll have a Mac Pro update and a, you know, whatever they're going to call it, cinema display, Thunderbolt 3 display, whatever, um, but a standalone retina display comparable or even better than the 5k iMac display um for mac pros but that maybe once they make that leap maybe then the mac pro can see a slightly more regular incremental updates because they've already made that jump and they can just sort of keep keep you can maintain right keep dipping in with the latest and greatest incremental updates from intel yeah, I mean, until until they decide to make another logical leap, which Intel is unable to to, it's it feels like the, we're talking about power PCs and we're suddenly in the early two thousands. It, it's it's so weird to me that all of a sudden, you know, Intel, which we used to hold up as kind of the gold standard of like regular TikTok updates, is now very much a little hamstrung. Where I what the MacBook Pros were waiting on Broadwell chips for a very long time. The new IMAX were waiting on Skylake and eventually shipped half and half. Like that, that kind of stuff is so crazy. The, the Mac Pros are probably waiting on Skylake and Thunderbolt three to to build proper cinema displays. I, I wonder also how long Apple is going to continue being like, well, we have to wait around for our manufacturing partners because they've really they've cut most of that out on the on the iOS line. You know, they're they're not waiting around for a lot of people because they're building their own chips. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't think they can do that on the high end pro side within, you know, with Intel. Yeah, not n- certainly not right now. Right, and in the, they, even in the foreseeable yeah. future, if you know, we, and this is a rabbit hole, we don't have to go down. But the whole <laughs> idea of ARM based Macs, clearly, in the same way that Retina came in at the, you know, it, it, step by step, ARM based Macs, if it ever happens, are going to come in not all at once, but step by step, and the, it's going to start with the, you know, one port MacBook. Oh yeah, it'll start at the very low end. Right. I don't even. Yeah, I can't. I can't imagine an arm an arm based Mac Pro is uh, definitely a, a ways away. Yeah, it's but possible, it, but it's you know that's that's like outside the event horizon. That's like, yes. <laughs> uh, I guess the thing that leaves people with a bad taste in their mouth though is that if you if you are a premium customer at Apple and you have money to burn, it's easy to feel confident that you've got the best thing. Like you can just go in and you know if you're going to buy an an iPhone. If you're willing to, if you like the bigger size or are just willing to put up with the bigger size, if you get the 6S Plus and you max the storage, you know you're getting the best of everything. You've got the mm-hmm. the image stabilization on the camera and all the best 
performance. And if you don't like the bigger size, you know exactly what you're missing out. All you're missing out on is the image stabilization. And you've got the best iPhone. Yeah. Uh, iPad. It's really easy to get the best iPad. Everybody knows that the new iPad Pro is going to be the most powerful iPad. Yeah. It's, and it's the only one that has the um, the new you know pen-based screen, uh, pencil-based mm -hmm. screen. I keep calling it a pen. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and you know what the trade-off is. It's the physical size of the device. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think what leaves people with a bad taste in their mouth when they've dropped a lot of money on a Mac Pro rig is that, <laughs> that they look around and they're like, I don't have the best of anything. <laughs> yeah, I'm right? kind of in this, I'm in, I'm in this purgatory, this pro, this pro purgatory hell. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've talked to a lot of, uh, I have a lot of friends in the film industry and a lot of people have been slowly but surely switching away from Mac Pros. And I guess it, Mac Pros make sense to a certain extent, I guess, if you want to rig up, you know, a massive. Yeah, and I shouldn't say that they don't have the best of everything. They do no. have the best expansion and they do have like a, 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 for certain computationally uh, intensive tasks, the the having eight cores or however many cores you can max the thing out eight, on. 16, is 32, six, yeah. Right, you can really, you know, you can do, there's certain tasks that if you can split them up in parallel like that, really you can see tremendous advantages. So there are some, but it's a mixed bag where you're trading off like you don't have a display anywhere near as nice as the Retina 5K Mac. And if I, you know, like a, a you know, for $2,000, you could buy an iMac with a better display than, than the, you know, a $20,000 Mac Pro setup could have. Yeah. I mean, a 12-core 12, 12 Mac Pro is very impressive, in as you were saying, in some respects. But it's interesting to me as somebody who used to live almost obsessively off of uh off of towers and then later with the mac pro the er the original sort of pre pre-cylindrical pro machine how much i don't fit into that mindset anymore even you know i don't do nearly as much film editing as i editing as i used to but still like the imac really has become i think the desktop machine for 80 85 percent of the population including the pros yeah. Or it just, it makes more sense. You don't need, well, you don't need the, I mean, you think about where the iMac debuted, right? And Apple had this great, uh, this great then and now website that they put up alongside the new iMacs where they're like, let's remember back to 1997 and the original iMac and how much faster our new iMacs are versus that. The iMac when it came out was very hamstrung and very much a consumer friendly. This is the intro, this is your introduction to the Mac line device. And as it's grown throughout the years, it really has, you know, it's been able to beef up what it can do and how it can compete against the Mac Pro. When I mean, Retina is only the latest ser in a series of dynamic and smart improvements that move it on up. You're still, you're not going to get the most cores and you're not going to get the most RAM and you're not going to be able to slot things in and out because the screen is what, like an inch thick? <laughs> but... <laughs> But it's it's the better computer for the majority of people, and I mean that's that's Apple's goal, right? They don't want you to have to fiddle around with things. Yeah, I linked to that site the other day, the 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 then and now comparison to the ninety eight iMac, and it is it's a cool comparison to you know wow how quickly we've you know yeah you know, I say quickly, but it's been seventeen years, but it's <laughs> it feels quick. <laughs> yeah, but it is interesting to compare it in this in the context of this discussion of. What do you get if you're a pro and you want to drop as you know get the best rig you can? In 1998, anybody with a Mac Pro, or is that what, what do we call them Mac Pros back then? They were G4, G3 towers. Power at that Macs. Point. Yeah, Power, Power Mac G3s. Yeah, Power Mac G3. Uh, 
would look at the iMac and say, wow, that's cute, but there wasn't one single thing about it that was better than, you know, performance-wise or the size of the display-wise <laughs> that you could drive, you know. You it's, have fun with your little hockey puck mouse and all-in-one computer. No, you used to get the hockey puck with the Power Mac, too. It was just Yeah, blue. that's right, that's right. But yeah, but every, anybody I knew with a with a Power Mac upgraded to a Kensington is yeah. like, oh yes, Ballmeister Superior. Do you know, I, I've brought this up many times before over the years, but my wife, Amy, she loved the hockey puck mouse. There, <laughs> actually, it is not universally loathed. There were people, and my wife was one of them. She used it for years afterwards, like on subsequent, you know, she kept she kept her iMac mouse and moved it from computer to computer. Oh, I, I still have my, my hockey puck mouse. I, I did like it. I didn't like it for certain tasks, but it's cute in its own way. It's 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 part of the joy of the iMac. I don't know. The haters the haters can go hate somewhere else. Yeah. Well hold that thought. I'm gonna do a sponsor read, but we'll go back and we'll talk about the new mouse. Um it'll it's a good segue. Um but first, let me tell everybody about our good friends at Harry's. You guys know Harry's. They offer high quality razors and blades for a fraction of the price of uh, the big name brand, Razor Brands. Uh, Harry's was started by two guys who just wanted a better product without paying an arm and a leg. Because shaving stuff, razor blades, are super expensive. There's no reason for it. So Harry's is super serious about this. Uh, They're not just like some kind of thing where they buy white label razor blades and put their own logo on them or whatever. They actually were were sourcing them from an uh, old, really old razor factory in Germany. And they liked the product so much that they bought the factory. Uh, So these are high quality, high performing German made razor blades. Uh, that Harry's supervises themselves. The reason they can sell stuff for so much less is that it's it's like the whole internet model. It's just direct. You go to Harry's website, you sign up, and they ship it to you. So there's no middlemen. There are no distributors. There's no retail. Like every step of the way when you buy razor blades like at a Walgreens or even at like Amazon uh, – or something like that. It's a little bit of markup each step of the way. It goes to a distributor, goes to the retailer, and everybody takes a little cut. Harry's just sells these things direct, right from them, right to you, and the prices are amazing. They have a starter set. 15 bucks gets you a razor, uh, your choice of moisturizing shave cream or gel, and three razor blades. And when you need more blades, they are two bucks each or less. You can get an eight pack for just 15 bucks, but if you want to buy in bulk, they get cheaper and cheaper. 16 pack is 25 bucks. Um, if you go to Amazon, uh, Gillette Fusions, 12 pack of blades is 41 bucks. So it's like half the price of a Gillette Fusion. Totally serious. I use it myself. Very, very comparable quality wise. Um, I've had mine, I don't know, long-time listeners of the show know that Harry's has been sponsoring the show for at least two years, uh, maybe even longer. And they sent me one way back when they started. I still have that razor handle, and I, I, I look at it now. It looks brand new. It looks mint condition. I, it looks like I could just package it up and, and sell it as mint. Really high-quality stuff. So go check them out uh, at harrys.com. And the, the code, the promo code is the talk show. And if you are a first-time customer, you will save five bucks off your first purchase, which means you can get that starter kit for just ten bucks, which is amazing. So go to Harry's.com, and the code is the Talk Show. So the other new stuff that Apple uh, announced this week with these iMacs are all new uh, wireless peripherals, new keyboard accessories, accessories, <laughs> new keyboard, a new Mac. 
magic trackpad <laughs> and a new magic mouse. I just can't call it the magic mouse. It just makes me crash, crack up every time I think of the, like the little cartoon characters. I, 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 you know, it's funny because I feel like we get used to Apple's names. And I remember like uh, MacBook was. Oh, MacBook was so hard. <laughs> it just seemed, I don't know. It just was really hard for me to get it. And now, you know, it's, it just, just your brain gets bludgeoned into accepting it over time. It's second nature. You're right. like, all right, I've, I've given up. I, I won't, I won't call it a power book anymore. Sorry, Apple. And I understand the logic of it because the yeah. power and power book was from power PC and it wasn't really branded by Apple. Whereas putting Mac in the name really does help. It, it actually makes some kind of sense that all of the Macs would have uh, the word Mac in them. Yeah. <laughs> right. I understand that, but MacBook was somehow a mouthful. It just doesn't seem like two words that, that fit quite as well together as power book did. Um, but uh, to me, the, the calling these things magic is always it embarrasses me every time I have to type it or say it. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it feels right. Oh yes, these these are different than normal accessories. How you ask? They have magic. But it, the magic trackpad. Yeah, it still makes me smile. The trackpad. I can kind of understand it because yes, it does. Especially with the new improvements to this version of the trackpad, where it gets the the MacBooks. Uh, Taptic engine and faux clicking, so you're no longer depressing a button. You just you're using you're using the magic of force touch and the the taptic engine to to make it feel like you're clicking like that. I would actually genuinely use it. Feels like magic because you're not actually clicking on anything. But the mouse is still just a mouse. Yeah, and I guess that their claim for the magic is that you get both the mouse that moves and you get the the you know you can do the gestures on the surface but to me it's like that it's just that's just the way you you apple have chosen to implement the scroll wheels and you know mice have done more than just move the cursor around for for a very long time time. (laughs) and it's just an implementation detail whether you're going to use a wheel or that remember remember that little that little ball they had for a while oh so bad so truth be told, I have not used an Apple manufactured mouse on a regular basis since the ADB era. Oh, the, wow. <laughs> the last ADB Apple mouse, which was a one-button mouse, I loved it. Um, it had a good click. <laughs> it had a great click, and it had a great form factor. Uh, it fit my hand the way that I like to hold a mouse. I know ATP has gone long on this a while ago, that depending on it, when you learn to use a mouse, you grip it in a certain way, whether you rest your hand on it or something. And the, it, it, I need like a big, uh, I don't know, like a much bigger mouse than the magic mouse to be comfortable. You need comfortable. to fit your hand. Yeah. You need it to have a, a good arc because it's the, it's the exact opposite problem of RSA on a, on a keyboard where you don't necessarily want your wrist arced up with a mouse. I feel like you need you need the comfortable arc to rest your hand on it if you're going to be resting your hand on a mouse for a while and going around and clicking. It needs to feel good, and it needs to not feel like your hand is dwarfing the mouse so that you can't actually find the buttons by touch. Yeah. So I will confess, the mouse that I use, I, I, I don't know if I can get a picture of this. I guess I'll try to maybe put it in the show <laughs> notes. The mouse that I use is at least, it, it absolutely positively I bought it in the 90s. <laughs> it's from Logitech. And even in the 90s when I bought it, I don't think I paid more than $14 for it. 
And it's so old. It I swear to God, I'm not making this up. It doesn't even have a laser. It has a ball. Oh, man. And it is super, super precise. I actually, because of RSI issues, I use a, a third-party mouse driver to, um, uh, what's it called? I had to switch at one point. It's called Steer Mouse, S-T-E-E-R-M-O-U-S-E. It's from some guy in Japan that lets you set your mouse speed uh, significantly faster than <laughs> the system mouse, you know, the, the very fastest speed of the system mouse so i could go even on my 5k imac i can go corner to corner pretty much without even using my wrist just my fingers and the ball on this thing is it it's so super precise like it's like so a giant 27 inch screen i have the speed ramped up so far like my son cannot even use it he he thinks it's crazy um because he just it immediately rams from corner to corner by moving it because it's so, so you know the differences is so subtle and this mouse, it just has never broken. It, the buttons still work. I mean, at some point, I guess it's going to break. I mean, every button fails eventually, but yeah. it's ancient. But I haven't used an Apple mouse since since the 90s. What is it connected via? USB? USB. It's a USB okay. mouse. So at least, it, at least I, I was going to ask if you were connecting via SCSI, you know, to no. you or some like crazy, crazy but I do, setup. But I do still have my <laughs> ADB keyboard. Oh, my God. Yeah, you know, I was talking to my dad the other day uh, right after the new accessories came out. And he's like rolling his eyes. He's like, "Nope, nothing can nothing can be better than my my Kensington trackball." And he still you and this that thing is probably from 1999 too because I remember using it playing like Star Wars Episode One Pod Racer or something crazy like that. Um, so it's they're definitely I feel like people have very specific preferences with their mice. Yeah, I, I think I what I what I have to do is I got to get on eBay and start hunting around for like. A for another copy two. yeah but i have to get i have to get a new in box because oh, yeah. i mean there's nothing grosser than using somebody's <laughs> some mouse that somebody's actually used years of fingerprints and greasy cheeto fingers and oh god like I'm, I'm i'm i think i'm pretty uh i think i have good personal hygiene um I'm not I'm not a real germaphobe, but like I do have some previously used Apple extended keyboard twos so that, to back up. <laughs> but when I whenever I get a new one, I really do I get all sort of like uh like CSI like crime scene like cleaning up a <laughs> like I I break out the alcohol and the cotton swipes and and I mean I I go, you know, I get Q-tips and I get in there and I'll clean, you know, even you if it's scrub it. <laughs> even if it looks like really like very lightly used, which are the best ones, very mm -hmm. lightly used. I I'm going to get in there and scrub it cuz who the hell knows what people were doing with these things. Oh my god. I mean, I don't I no longer eat food while working or any of that and like my is like my keyboard should be pristine and then I'm, I'm looking down at it as we're talking and it's like the some of the number pad is just absolutely disgusting like I, brown <laughs> i do not eat at my desk either i've i gave that up many years ago and i still can't believe how disgusting my keyboard can get if i get real close to it yeah it's it's a little bit frightening to me well i know what i'm doing after this podcast <laughs> Yeah, now it's just, it does sort of put the heebie-jeebies in me, and I'm looking yeah. at it, and I'm thinking, maybe <laughs> like, I should just clean, like, my own key, even my own keyboard grosses me out, yeah. let somebody else's. Um, so, it's hard for me to really get excited about the new Magic Mouse, because I know I'm not going to use it, because I know it's the same form factor as the old one, and I know that the old form factor, to me, is extremely uncomfortable to use. Yeah, I don't like it at all. Uh, my boyfriend has one that he will use on occasion, Um but I, I don't know. It just doesn't fit right. My the only mouse that I have on my desk right now is a 
very poor man's attempt at a gaming mouse from Mac Alley from like, I don't know, 2004 that somehow is still working. It's just a, a four button mouse and a, and a scroll wheel that I used to use for World of Warcraft of all things. Cause you know, you have to do something in college, but I've been, I've been a trackpad user pretty much since, since the original magic trackpad came out. Um, I mean, I was on a laptop for most of college and up until uh, I got hired at Macworld in 2010. And when they hired me, they're like, oh, you get an iMac. Uh, do you want a mouse or a trackpad? And I'm like, trackpad. Cause that's all I, that's all I'd been, I'd been using aside from the occasional gaming. And that's, that's what I like. I like swipe gestures and even the mouse with its tiny little swipe just did, just did not feel comfortable to me. And I feel like the original magic mouse didn't even have like expose or, or mission control support. Like it could two finger swipe between Safari windows, uh, but it couldn't do any of the really cool things yeah. that the magic trackpad could. So it, it always has felt kind of hamstrung to me in comparison to the trackpad. Like Apple was really only having it to throw a bone to the users who still wanted a mouse to come with their machine, their desktop Mac. But I, especially with the new features of the, the this generation's magic trackpad, it, it just feels like the trackpad blows the mouse out of the water. Like this, this is what you should be using with an iMac. I agree with that. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there are other people who are just so used to a mouse that they, and I'm sure that's why Apple hasn't gone all trackpad and why the magic mouse still exists and is a thing. But I do, I, that is the other thing I do have at my desk. I have a magic trackpad. <laughs> I can't say it without laughing. I have the old one. I don't have the new one. I have the old one that takes the AA batteries. Yep. And I don't use it all the time, but I have it there because for certain tasks in certain apps, it's, uh, I find it nicer to have that. Like if I'm editing an image or something like that, it's mm -hmm. nice to have it and be able to zoom in the and zoom, out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and for me, I use mission control so much because I got used to it on the, on my tiny laptops that being able to four finger swipe and get to the desktop and move around and all of that is second nature to me. And especially with El Capitan adding in things like uh, swipe to mark as red and mail, that it just it just makes it more of a compelling feature for me. And now that force touch is added, I, I'm still rocking the the jelly roll, <laughs> the jelly roll magic trackpad with the AA batteries. But um, the idea of force touch, being able to do different things in the apps, Right now, it's very, very uh, limited because third-party app developers really haven't taken advantage of it at all because the trackpad's only been in the in the MacBook, which only a small subset of the population owns. But now that that trackpad is now potentially on, potentially compatible with every single Mac in the lineup that runs OS X El Capitan. Every single Mac in the lineup that has Bluetooth 4 and runs OS X El Capitan now has the power of Force Touch. And seeing what it can do just in a couple of different apps, you know, even just uh, QuickTime Player, the, de the demo they love both in the retail stores and when they were demoing the, the MacBook trackpad is the press press a little bit to fast forward and then press really deeply and you can fast forward up to, you know, 300 times and then you can lift your finger a little bit and use it like a gas pedal. You know, that's, that's a cool proof of concept, but I feel like especially pro-level applications, uh, design applications, drawing applications, photography, force, force touch is going to be a big deal. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I'm tempted by that. Um, have you seen that there are people complaining? I know Anil Dash tweeted about it <laughs> and a lot of people. Have you seen The you know charging? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Oh my god. Okay, so yeah, the so charging the port. Go ahead. The <laughs> charging port, it charges by all these new devices if you don't if you're not familiar. They the one of the big changes in all three of these is that you no longer put no batteries, more batteries in. Batteries. I'm so, so now, excited. Does Apple make anything you put batteries in anymore? I, Maybe the remote? No, because no, the, re- the remote's lightning. Yeah, the new remote for Apple TV is lightning think, as well. I think we have gotten away from AA batteries, which yeah. I am thrilled by because I have so many useless, slowly dying, rechargeable batteries. <laughs> uh, I I did that a couple years ago. I bought a whole bunch of rechargeable batteries. And it was good when Jonas was a real little kid and was using all sorts of toys that took them. It re- I really don't regret it. But No. But they... they they lose their efficacy. Um, oh, it's so it's so bad. I have a serious. I probably have twelve or fourteen, and it's gotten to the point where I don't know which ones are almost yeah. are really poorly charged and which ones are still kind of new. Right, because once you've charged them, they're all good. Yeah, exactly. It, it, yeah, there's. It, I wish that they like 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 turned a rotten color like. Fruit, yeah, exactly. You know? Slowly, slowly turned like eggshell yellow yeah. or something weird like that. Yeah, my my trackpad. I'm lucky if my trackpad and my keyboard last a day. If I had been smart, what I would have done is maybe like gotten in a habit of like uh, marking them or yeah, something. Yeah, ta- like yeah. a tally mark, like with a sharpie. <laughs> Every time I charge the this battery, do a tally mark, Make and you little... can see which ones you've done the most. But anyway, I've sort but of. But now got... you don't need to do it. But now, now I've gotten off. I've gotten back to just using like Duracells, you know, mm-hmm. and, and then I feel guilty about it though. I really do because I know that you know that it's sort of a it's rotten bad for the environment. Thing. Yeah. Right. Well, and I don't know. Is Philly one of the places in in Boston you can't throw them away? Like you have to dispose of them in a special place. So if you use a non rechargeable battery, at least in in my house, it's very much like either it goes in a bucket where we're like, yeah, we'll take this to the special recycling department someday, and then it just sits there in your house forever and ever, just kind of gathering dust. In Philly, we take them to sporting events and throw them at the opposing teams. <laughs> that sounds like you guys. <laughs> It's like uh, pe- like peanuts, except uh, they're a little bit more uh, more potential of explosion if you set them on fire. Yeah. Uh, so the thing with the, so that here's the thing that, that is a minor design controversy is that the new Magic Mouse has I think the exact same um, when it's sitting on a desk it looks identical to the old one has the exact same profile. Uh, as different feet, according to the design slight, team at Apple, <laughs> but I don't think they look different. I no. think that they're there's you know Stephen Levy at at Back Channel on Medium uh, uh, had a great behind the scenes talk with the the team that made these things, and they talked about how they uh, somehow with the weight being different from the new battery um, that they had to redesign the feet to make the click sound right. Um, but anyway, the complaint that people have is that the lightning port is on the bottom. So if you want to charge this thing, you have to turn it on its side or turn it upside down and stick a lightning port in. Um, and therefore, while it's charging, you cannot use it as a mouse. And what everybody seems to, or the complainers seem to think is common sense, is that the lightning port should be at the front of the mouse so that you could plug it in and use it like you would a wired Just mouse. use it like a mouse. Yeah, except for the fact that I, I've seen Anil's mock-up where it's like, yeah, just have this little hole in the front of the mouse. It'll be fine. Except I can just I can just see five different people at Apple being like, that is the most hideous thing I've ever seen in my life. And so, I don't know. It just, for, on top of that, we should also mention the fact that this mouse does not take a extremely long time to charge. Two minutes so, supposedly two, gives you nine hours. It gives you a day. Right. So the idea... 
So you yeah. could charge it. If you came to work and your mouse was dead, you could charge it and you would have to wait to start using it. But you could just use that as like your minute to get your standing get points. Get coffee. Yeah, exactly. Standing or standing points. 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 For your watch. <laughs> and then yeah. by the time you've got your standing point, your your Apple mouse, your ma- magic mouse <laughs> too, would be charged for the day. Uh, uh, and it does mouse. give you the other thing too is it it gives you just you know if you it, for any of you who haven't used these peripherals they do the system is in touch with them and when they get low you do get a warning on screen and it's not like an emergency warning it's like you you know you're going to want to charge this thing yeah you know i'm actually i'm kind of mad that the ports are on the back for the magic trackpad and the magic and is it a magic keyboard or is it just a keyboard oh <laughs> uh, let's see it's just called a keyboard yeah this no is it keyboard. is a magic keyboard uh, it's a magic keyboard it uh, it's magic <laughs> magic all the way down i but, think that that might be a new name though because it's the magic trackpad 2 and the magic mouse 2 but, but it's just, just the magic, the magic keyboard the magic mm. keyboard because it has the new not butterfly mechanism but different scissor mechanism um mm. than previous keyboards yeah, yeah, I, I, I kind of feel like I'm, I'm in tune of the, with the standing notification idea. Where why don't why aren't all of the ports on the underside? And then then it just forces you to get up off of your desk while you're charging your accessories. Sorry, your accessories literally are going to stop working unless you get out of your seat. I, I don't. It it seems it seems subversively funny to me. But I don't. I honestly don't know what the what the fuss is about. I think that Apple first and foremost wants to obviously design functional things, but also design accessories that are going to look nice. And the worst, the worst thing I think in the world would be to give you a wireless mouse and then be here. We're going to make it so that you can absolutely use it as a wired mouse. Because how many? I don't want to say stupid idiots. How many stupid idiots are just going to plug in their peripherals and then just keep them plugged in the entire time? Oh, I don't want to charge them. They are, you know, things always burn down. I I think that if the existing profile of the Magic Mouse had a flat front, then they might have just put the port there. Yeah. But it's the fact that they're clearly happy with the profile of the magic trackpad where the front and back, it, you know, it's, it's exactly uh, symmetric. Uh, and it has, there is no, there's, there is nowhere for it to go. So anybody who's asking for them to put the port so that you can use it while it's charging is asking for them to redesign the whole mouse. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's a, a that's you know, a bad thing, but it's, uh, it doesn't, you know, it just does not seem like a problem. And I also think on the other hand, I, I think exactly what you said. I think it might even be deliberate. It may, it may actually be that they want to discourage people from using it while charging. Yeah. But it, I'm not quite sure then why they didn't do the same with the keyboard and the track. Yeah. Which is, which is my, my wonder. No, I honestly think that, you know, if you're if you're talking about technology that went into these peripherals, again, the mouse feels like the odd man out here where the trackpad gets force touch and all of this new and the keyboard is completely redesigned and should type better. And the mouse is it has lightning now, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's the I, I know that there was design work going that went into the mouse because of Stephen Levy's excellent art article. And also, I know that even if something looks identical, Apple spends a lot of time on it regardless. Um, but I, I do think what you were saying is absolutely correct, where 
in order for them to put a lightning port on the front and make it not look like a piece of crap, uh, they're going to have to redesign it. And if they're going to redesign the mouse, then they might as well redesign it in such a way that they can also put force touch in it, which I think right now is probably too challenging given the curvature of the mouse and the, you know, current initial limits of force touch. Uh so, I mean, it may eventually happen, but I just, I think they ran up against time and, and hardware limitations to actually put that together. And it's like, well, do you want a mouse that has a port on the front of it for slightly easier charging? Or do you want force touch on your trackpad? Pick one. You can only have one. Hmm. And I'm guessing the majority of people are going to say, yeah, we'd prefer force touch on the trackpad. Why, why do we care about a charging port location? Yeah. Um, the other thing, last thing on, about these three peripherals is the price. Yes. <laughs> and this is, this <sighs> is very classic Apple. The The keyboard is 99 bucks. Of course. Which is a lot for a keyboard. The track, was it 79 before? I think so. The trackpad yeah. is $129. <laughs> and the the mouse is, how much is the mouse? 59, 69? 79. 79. So the, a, mouse, the mouse and the keyboard are the same price. No, the keyboard's 99. 99. The keyboard used to be 79. So right. the mouse moves up to the keyboard's price. The keyboard's 100 bucks and the trackpad is a very a very quintessential Apple number, $129. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. I mean, I I understand the technology in the mouse or in, in the trackpad at least Forced, forced touch to me seems like the kind of thing where you might need to charge a premium for it based on all of the mechanics that are under the hood. It's not just a mouse, but it's still $129 for a slab of a metal. The Amazon Basics three-button USB wired mouse is $699. <laughs> uh, what's yeah. the Amazon Basics wireless mouse? Now it's expensive. That's $11.49. <laughs> so if you want a mouse... <laughs> I seem to remember that in previous iMac versions, you could choose between the mouse or the, the keyboard or the trackpad, and they wouldn't upcharge yeah. you. And now they upcharge you 50 bucks Oh! if you want to go from the mouse to the keyboard. You mean or, the Sorry, trackpad. the mouse to the trackpad. Yes, the mouse to a keyboard is 50 No. <laughs> oh, yeah. That used to be like a... That used to be It's a, a perk. You choose your, choose your poison. And now they're actually discouraging people from going to the trackpad. Which seems like such a seems like such the wrong thing to do if you want to get more people using force touch and and more people comfortable with a trackpad, um, or and or you could get both the Magic Mouse two and the Magic Trackpad two for one hundred and twenty nine dollars in yeah. case you wanted multiple peripherals, or you could get a wired Apple Mouse for no money. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right though that it fundamentally comes down to the fact that force touch is the or three D touch whatever we're calling it is the new you know, hotness and it's, you know, it, it probably is more expensive. I, I really doubt that it, it costs $129. Yeah. But, that's that much more, you know, but multiply it by Apple's standard margin <laughs> and maybe, it, you know, maybe it is the right price. Um, but it really does. It is one of those remaining things that stands out from the Mac and the, the commodity mouse market. As I sit here and look at this, you know, I just opened up an Amazon dot com tab and just type mouse <laughs> it's like you can find here's a logitech for 21 22 yeah if you want an and and you know what the high quality mice that's the funny thing it's like rick has a high quality silent wireless gaming mouse on his on his uh desk that i'm pretty sure he paid maybe 70 dollars for 
Yeah, I'm sure you can, but it's, it's you but, know. But even that, that's less than the price of the Apple Magic Mouse 2. Right. I mean, here's one. It looks like something from Iron Man. YCC <laughs> Team, 4,000 DPI, 10-button LED optical, USB wired professional gaming mouse. Why does a gaming mouse need dots per inch? Well, it's for the, it's, it's, the dots per inch is the sensor, the laser. Oh, oh In other words, yeah. how precise so. it is. It actually is pretty important. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh I've never I've never heard that term because I am a very casual Mac right. gamer, but that's that makes sense. I'm not a gamer. I haven't played a game on my Mac in I think over ten years, maybe longer. But I'm very sensitive to that because that's why I use my old mouse with the ball because it has a really high DPI precision. Yeah, so absolutely. I, so that I can jack the speed up with the mouse. So I I, I act, that's one of the weird things I know about the gaming world. But anyway, all these mice <laughs> like seven dollars. <laughs> Oh boy! But Apple can do it. That's the thing is that they. I mean, these the peripherals. I know uh, Renee's been going to the store pretty much every day to try and get them, and they they're limited supply every day, huh. and every day sold out, sold out, sold out. So people are buying these horrendously expensive peripherals, even yeah. the Magic Mouse. Well, I don't even know if it's it, it is expensive. Yeah, there's no way around it. I don't know that it's too expensive though. I'm not complaining about it. No. but it's you know it's the price you pay for. You know, Apple's cutting edge stuff. For not for for no batteries for lithium ion batteries in a keyboard and a trackpad, I would pay you know what a hundred two hundred and twenty nine dollars for that set. Yeah. Um, if I was buying it to upgrade to my current Mac, yeah, I would do that in a heartbeat because anything that requires me never to use batteries again is worth that upcharge. And yeah. Force Touch is worth that upcharge. I do yeah. hate that they're referring it to Force Touch as Force Touch on the Mac and 3D Touch on the phone. That is driving me crazy. Well, I think I've asked about it, and it's one of those questions that they have a prepared answer for that doesn't really answer it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they're ready for it. But I think translating it from their non-answer to a real answer is, I think it's twofold. I think, one, they were calling it Force Touch Everywhere, and then they decided that, that I think they kind of bought into, or at least recognized the arguments that people have that it, it sounds like it could be a little creepy or yeah. violent or something. Um, that there's other, you know, there's other ways to in interpret those words that absolutely that aren't a positive connotation. Um, and I think secondarily, they've talked themselves into the not just renaming it 3D Touch Everywhere, it because I think Force Touch is sort of binary, where it's either a regular touch or a Force Touch, and that's it. And 3D Touch has uh. I just it's read in three D. <laughs> yeah, well, it has it. It measures degree of touch. Yeah. So, like, just it, the one way that Apple exposes it currently in iOS nine is with the peak and pop. Yes. Where there's two levels of touch, and um, I just read an article. I guess I should try to find it in the show notes. I read an article where somebody was playing with the APIs, and and effectively, a developer could could probably get six levels of touch if you wanted to like and where you where you might want to use that maybe in a game you know some kind of game mm -hmm. where you have six levels you know maybe for acceleration in a you know driving a racing game uh maybe in some kind of musical app where you're playing the force touches is trying to get you know music out of it drums or something but you like can that, pretty yeah. much go like one to six um and that's yeah. 3D touch. Like it had you know and force touch though is either just it is a force touch or it's a regular touch and that's it. Yeah, well, that but that's what it is on the watch, and that's what interests me about the desktop is that the Force Touch trackpad on a MacBook is not you press or you're not. Like it does have it does have degrees of sensitivity and layers, 
in it. Um, but they're still kind of playing with that idea. Yeah, I don't know and that the APIs are there on the Mac, though. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Yeah, I think they I, should just call, call it 3D Touch. Everywhere. Yeah, I like 3D Touch. I think 3D Touch is appropriate. And the interesting thing, I, it's funny that developers can only access six levels of, of pressure in sort of apps. Because uh, Peter Skinner from 10.1 did, a, of course, a, an initial test for the pressure sensitivity in drawing apps. And he was able to detect over 400, 400 potential levels of pressure sensitivity when it came to drawing alone. So there's a lot. There's actually a lot of functionality built into that little screen that maybe isn't quite exposed to developers for regular apps because maybe it just doesn't make sense to have that kind of finite pressure. I mean, right. most it that that's so many levels of pressure that the average human is not going to understand that they've shoved through 50 to get from step one to step two. But from a drawing perspective, that's actually really exciting. Yeah. And one of the things I kind of want to play with once we get the, the new... Uh, I almost call it the Force Touch trackpad. Once we get the new Magic trackpad, um, I'm really curious to see how, you know, if if pressure sensitive drawing is going to be enabled, if it's something that the that the Magic trackpad can do, or whether they're going to just limit it to the iPhone for this this time around. Yeah. Well, what do you think you would do the drawing with, though? Like a well, stylus? no. I mean, you could do it with a fin- see the thing. The interesting thing for me, um, at least on a on a Mac, you could use a stylus, arguably, because that that glass is now so big that it it almost reminds me of like a Wacom bamboo, bamboo uh, tablet, like a really early um, 512 levels of pressure sensitivity tablet. But what would be cool for me is using it in something like Pixelmator or Lightroom, where you use it to shade or to like to do color correction in various levels where you don't need the specific pinpoint uh pinpoint accuracy if you were just drawing very tiny lines but if you're you know color correcting or if you're removing splotches or anything like that being able to have levels of pressure like this is how this is how much i want to you know this is how much color i want to take away in a desaturation yeah the pressure is more important than the than the pixel precision exactly exactly at least in these early days at least in certain tasks like that yeah exactly um and even the pixel precision is not too bad when you have zoom at your disposal. And I can very easily see you pinch and then you use one finger to sketch. Yeah. That's what I've been doing on the on the phone and it's been working really well. Hmm. Uh, all right, let's take a break and I will thank our second sponsor and it's our good friends at Automatic. They just spell it the regular way, Automatic. And what is it? It is really cool. It is a connected car adapter. I call it a dingus. Uh, it plugs into your car's diagnostic port. Now, every car made, I think, since like 1997, uh, but somewhere around there, has one of these. It's a standard port. It goes across manufacturers. Um, your car has one. You just find out where where it is on your car. It's somewhere underneath the dashboard. You plug this little uh, dingus into it, and it's exactly the same port that like the mechanic uses when you take your car in the shop. And like, you, if your car's dashboard says you need like service A1. Uh, you could just use automatic and it tells you exactly what that means. Um, Cause they have an app. Here's how you, 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 you plug the thing in the card. Then you don't have to worry about it anymore. Then after that, you just use the app and it communicates it with Bluetooth between you and your car. And it tells you everything that goes through there. So any kind of like engine light warning or something like that automatic will explain in plain English, what the heck is going on? You know, whether you just need an oil change, whether you're due for some kind of bigger service, whether something is failing, uh, it gives you a log of your trips. It keeps track of your parking location. So if you uh, 
if you have a you know if you don't have like a garage or something like that and you you know forget where your car is automatic knows where your car is every single time you park it uh it even can call emergency services in the case of an accident um it scores you on your driving if you want it to so you can set goals for uh fuel efficiency and stuff like that and will give you hints and tell you when you're you know when you're going over your limits and stuff like that um the new thing they have this year, and it was already cool just doing all that stuff. The new thing they have this year is they have an app store for automatic. And they have over 20 apps available. And that lets you use your car's data in all kinds of ways. So, for example, they've got integration with Nest. So you can let your thermostat know when you're getting close to home. You can say, when I'm you know, five miles away from home, do this with the temperature in your house. Uh, or 10 miles or whatever you want it to be. You don't have to do anything. You set it up and then it just works like that. It's amazing. It really seems like the future. Um, and they've got integration with IFTTT. That's if then, then that. Uh, if this, then that. Uh, a really great web service, which you should check out on your own anyway for hooking up all sorts of nerdy stuff. But then you can make your own recipes and do all sorts of custom stuff based on this. Really, really cool. Long story short, if you have a car, you really want this. It's amazing. This sort of thing should be built into every car, but it's not. Uh, but it's pretty awesome that it works with everybody's car. Uh, it's a hundred bucks normally, which is a great deal. And there's no service fee. You don't pay like ten bucks a month or whatever. You just give them the hundred bucks. You get the dingus, and then you own it, and that's it. Um, but even better than that, you could save twenty percent off. That's twenty bucks. Get it for eighty dollars, and it ships in two business days. And they have a forty-five day return policy. That's how confident they are that you're going to like it. So buy it for 80 bucks with this code. Go to automatic.com slash the talk show and get yourself this automatic dingus if you haven't gotten one already. Really cool. Anything else on the uh, the peripherals? No, I think I'm, I'm, I'm good. They're peripherals uh, after all. I was thinking it's it seems a little silly because it's only October, uh, and I'm not like a big year in review sort of person. I usually don't do anything like that. But I think we're at the point now, though, where we kind of know everything that Apple's done for 2015. I mean, the, the we're still that waiting. They have coming, yeah. We you know the iPad Pro is obviously a huge thing that's coming. It's probably the it's looming know, <laughs> right. It's the biggest, literally. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, biggest iOS device, I guess it's not bigger than a 27-inch iMac, but it, it's you know probably the biggest hardware announcement of the year, and you know we don't have it in our hands yet, but we know it's coming. Um, I think you know I think the Apple has shown all of their cards, and it actually is to me, you know, as as much as like for the year or two prior, there were a lot of complaints that Apple w was sort of silent wasn't for innovating, yeah. wasn't innovating you know phil schiller's can't innovate anymore my ass uh thing at wwdc it was obviously frustrating to them i don't it's one of those things where i feel like they you can complain about it when they're quiet for a long time but then when they have a busy year it's nobody really says wow they've really done a lot this year but they've done a lot this year and a spectacular amount when you really think about all of i mean they launched a entirely new product the apple watch right you know we got new iPhones. We got new dev kits. Uh, you know, new two new versions of of iOS and and OS ten, which I people I think overlook just how uh, just how much work goes into creating solid software, and they really did. I feel like make solid software this time around on both iOS and OS ten. It doesn't feel nearly as as bunky to me right off the line. We got new iPhones. 
Apple yeah. TV. I Apple forgot TV. about that. That's yeah. still to come too. I, <laughs> that's I, that's looming end of October, early November. I also I want to emphasize that as we record this, I do not have an Apple TV. I, <laughs> I worry that somebody's going to go, oh, you know, Gruber says, you know, he's only waiting on an iPad Pro. He must have an Apple TV in the house. I do not. <laughs> I do not. Um, but no, but that's coming. And the other two really big things to me are the uh, photos, the new photo, integrated photos that launched. Yeah. In iCloud Photos and Apple Music, right? And, and so yeah. there's these two things that, you know, music and your photos and videos that in 2015, Apple has introduced entirely new and, and you know, not necessarily in both case, in either case, seamlessly. Perfect, yeah. Right. But it they've certainly laid the foundation for the future of how people in the Apple, you know, customers in the Apple ecosystem are going to manage their photos and music. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I did a lot of work on both of those topics uh, right as, as they were coming out. And as as the year have, has progressed, they, you know, Apple has been very, very good about listening to customer feedback and implementing, you know, implementing uh, changes or fixes or bug, you know, bug fixes um, to make the experience better. You know, I think about the initial iCloud photo library and the new photos app, I couldn't turn around on the internet, virtually turn around without seeing someone being like, how dare you? This sucks. I miss Aperture. I'm moving to Lightroom. Everything is terrible. And now they're, I feel like quite a few people are using photos or they're using Google's photo service or they're using, you know, they've found their photo service or they're willing to give photos a try. And there's, there's no big calamity. Apple hasn't lost someone's entire photo library. There's no, there's been no insanity there. There was a little insanity over Apple Music. Yeah, because, let's let's yeah, do photos but, first because yeah. I feel like it was the smoother launch. It was, and I, I I'm really impressed by it. I really am. I, I you know, I, it works really really well for me. There was one, um, one time early on with a photo on my iPhone where I had it. Uh, let me see how many photos I've got in there now <laughs> just to put a scale on. Oh, yeah, we can compare. Uh, you probably have more, I'll bet. I've got 16,956 photos and 237 videos. Yep. I, you might have me beat on videos, but I'm pretty sure I have you beat on photos. I don't have a lot of videos in oh. there because I used to store them separately. I do have videos in here. Never mind. I'm, I'm guessing most of that was recently shot but 26,896 photos 855 videos and three items quote unquote <laughs> <laughs> i don't actually know what items are i i had a i had a i had a situation early in this summer uh, or no maybe it like it was at the point where i upgraded to ios 9 beta on my on my phone and it was a beta so i i, I this is why i didn't complain about it publicly but i had a situation where there it, it, the count wasn't the same across all my devices. It was yes. slightly off. And I figured it out that it came down to a photo I had taken on my iPhone about two weeks prior and which I had edited. And I forget if I only edited it. I did it on the phone. And I forget if I used the Photos app on the phone to adjust the color or something or if I used like Afterlight or one of those third-party apps that lets you mm -hmm. modify images on your photo roll in place without making a copy but it was edited and for whatever reason it was not able to sync that photo to um to icloud photo to icloud so i emailed it to myself so i'd have a copy of the edited version then i deleted it 
and then everything got caught up and then I took the emailed photo and put it back into photos. So one time and it was with a beta, so I'm not complaining. And ever since then it's it has been great. Yeah. Well, I and I think, you know, comparing this a little bit to the Apple Music rollout, the beta process was really important for this. Being able to have the months where they're like, "Yes, this is beta." We definitely want people to come play in in the beta. So please, if you're interested, but this is a beta service and right. please be advised. This is a beta service and please back up your photos. Um, and once people, I think, realized, well, first of all, knew that going in and also were able to figure out, oh, this is the difference between storing all of your photos on your device and optimizing storage. And this is what this app gets me that Aperture or Lightroom does not Um they had more time to kind of figure all of that out. I, I too had, I had one really bad photos experience and that was mostly, uh, I had at this, at the time that photos was released or, or initially sort of announced, I was really excited about this because my photo library had been spread ag- across four different computers. Uh, and I thought at one point I had it all localized on the 15 inch iMac, but as, as time went on, it kind of more and more got over to my, or 15 inch MacBook Pro. And as time went on, it, it became more on, on my old 21.5 inch iMac and a little bit on my, on my, uh, my MacBook Air. And I, I was just saving like giant folders of iPhone images. Every time my <laughs> iPhone would get full, I'd, I'd just dump everything via image capture into a folder and just shove it into Dropbox. So it was like, there was some canonical version of my photos somewhere, uh, And when I went to merge everything into photos, one, my MacBook Air library wouldn't sync. And eventually I just had to create a new, I had to create a new library and pull down all of the photos from the cloud and then upload everything. It was trying, it just got into a terrible loop where it was trying to download and upload at the same time. And they just, you know, essentially the, you know, the virtual pipe was clogged. So nothing could get anywhere. And it just said uploading forever. Uh, but again, once I like that was a very simple troubleshoot. I, and I talked to Apple and almost immediately got that fixed. And once I got that fixed, no problems. Yeah. Everything's great. Yeah. The other thing that really works well, and it sounds simple, and I know there's other services that do this. I'm not saying Apple has invented anything. I'm just saying that at scale for all of the people who use iCloud Photos, it seems to be working well is the way that like you can say whether or not you want all of your photos on this device or not or you would just want the thumbnails and pull them down over the cloud as needed to save space. Yeah. And having gone through the, the, again, this is, I'm not complaining. It's, you know, it's a great, it's great that I get access to the iPhones and stuff beforehand, but I set up an awful lot of iOS (laughs) devices every year because I get two new iPhones and then I buy my own iPhone. Um, Having set up my own iPhones for personal use a lot. And over the last month or two, it's worked really, really great. Where it's obviously they're not, you know, 16 or 17,000 photos. Even the thumbnails are not there, you know, a minute or two after you unlock, you know, unwrap the phone. But, you know, within a very reasonable amount of time, they are. And it's, it's to me, really impressive. And it solves a problem that we've, you know, had for a long time. Yeah. Well, the, just the not having to worry about what device I take photos on is huge. And not like, and uh, it's just in every day too. Obviously, most people don't necessarily have a job where they're taking tons of product photos on maybe and then uploading them to one machine and maybe need access to them on another machine at a later point in time. 
But that kind of workflow, I feel like, is universal for different documents. And Apple seems to have really done a, a great thing with photos where I can, again, snap a screenshot or snap a snap a photo of uh, of like an, an Apple Watch doc. And three seconds later, it shows up on my Mac where I need to upload it to to our CMS for our for our website. And that it just it makes it easier. I don't have to worry about where my photos are because I know that like, OK, they're all in the cloud. And then I have a backup, a physical backup on one of my computers. And then I have a double backup on in Dropbox. Yeah. And it's like, that's, it's just, it feels really nice. The yeah. one, the one niggle that I have with optimized storage is that I do wish that your favorites album was automatically stored on device. Like I wish there was an album that you could just be like, this album needs to be stored locally. Because the the annoying thing of like tapping something that you want to share with somebody and then seeing the the down the slow download icon and realizing currently iCloud Photos is limited to Wi-Fi to download any photo. Right. So if you want to get an old photo from, you know, 1996 or something that you have stored, chances are if you haven't looked at it frequently, it's not it's stored up in the library. It's not stored on device if you have Optimize on. And if you're not on Wi-Fi, you can't download that. And so all you can see is this really blurry picture. Even if you're just looking at, you want to just browse photos while you're stuck on an airplane or something. That That's a, a little frustrating, but it's not, you know, it's not a deal breaker. It's not necessarily something where I'm like, Apple, how could you? But it would be nice to have like, to have a space of like, these photos will always stay on my device. I always want to look at these pictures of my pets. That's the... <laughs> It's either the default or it's the only way you get photos onto your Apple Watch too. Is yeah. At least the default is that you favorite them and then the favorites are on the watch. Yeah. I, I don't know if you can also, is there a way that you can manually um, specify a different album? You can specify a different album on the Apple Watch, but it is albums only and favorites is the the, the first option. Right. Yeah, the default. So out of the box, that's what, that's what happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. Synced album, favorites. Yeah. Um. But anyway, long story short, I think it's really been a good year for photos, and I am really intrigued to see where they go going forward, because it's one of those things where I feel like it's the same thing as like trying to get everything across the board to go retina, where you need all of these things in place first, and some of that stuff you just have to wait for. And I mm -hmm. feel like being able to say, it doesn't matter, you know, like if you have a standalone, you know, camera, and you then hook it up to your Mac, and you import them into photos a week or two later you forget what you took the photos of you just know you took a photo of you know your relative's birthday party mm -hmm. and the fact that it's just there on your phone what even if you didn't take the photos with your phone is great i'm really interested to see though if if what they do like for next year with photos is start beefing up especially the mac version to be more of a prosumer photo editing tool i'm hoping so I hope so too. And my concern though is that because everything is everywhere and that they're non-destructive, that the Mac what what the Mac version of photos can do isn't limited by what the Mac can do, but it's limited by what iOS can do. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's already there's already some disparity there because the iPhone has, of course, non-destructive third party edits. Um and the Mac did not get that option for app extensions until this fall. Right. And even then, um, there those are limited to device. So if you if you edit something on your iPhone, um, say with like the Pixelmator extension for iPhone, and then you import it or you open it up in the Mac, 
you can't open it with the Pixelmator extension for Mac inside right. the Photos app. It You either have to, you can revert it so you can take off all of the edits or you can add a top of it, but you can't, once you've changed those sliders, if you open it up in the Mac and start to apply new, new more edits, you, you, you lose the previous ability to, but you, to but edit if you, things. But if you just look at it, you do see the edits that yeah. you did in Pixelmator. Yes, right. you do. So I guess that's one way to do it, where you know the Mac could gain a lot of built-in serious stuff, and then when you open it up on the iPhone, you'd see them, but then if you tried to edit it, it would warn you that you either need to make a copy of it or revert or something. Yeah, exactly. I could live with that. I, you know, And that's sort of, I think, the best we can hope for. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I wouldn't necessarily rule out a pro version of Photos, uh, but I do think there's enough, there are enough things to make improvements to in the initial app where I think the initial app is a very solid 1.0 release but there are still there are definitely there are definitely tools that a that would be great for a prosumer app or a you know a consumer leading to like doing the slow stepping stones they've already done a great job even with the editing menu of making potentially you know severe and uh and expansive color correction available to somebody who doesn't really know much um, where you just start with this slider from light to dark, and then right. you can drop it down, and it becomes more expansive and more in depth, and then you can add extensions if you really want to play around. And oh, I've messed this up! It's just a reset button away. Yeah. Um. So a huge year for photos, in my opinion. Apple Music, the next thing. Now, this is the part. <laughs> I, Apple Music to me still it confuses me. Yeah, you know. This I is don't... really uh, the main reason I wanted you on the show is I want you to explain Apple Music to me. Okay. Well, what do you, what would you like to know about Apple Music? How am Everything? I su- how am I supposed to use it? <laughs> okay. So, do you do you want to use Apple's catalog of song? Like, would you like to access Apple's catalog of artists? I guess. I think what <laughs> I need to do here's what I think I need to do. I think for safety's sake, and, and, and I have backups, but I think I need to make like an entire copy of my music library. Yes, I think that's wise. Which is largely ripped, but I have had uh, uh, you know the match service for a, a, you know ever since it came out, um, and make a copy, and then I have all of my ripped stuff that I've had for I don't know fifteen years now, mm-hmm. um, and then just go with Apple Music. Yeah. So what I would suggest, if you're starting from scratch and you're you want to go into Apple Music. You make a copy of your library. Um, for that new copy of your library, if you want to start just absolutely clean, what you can do is create that new library. And then I think there's a checkbox that allows you to add songs, but keep the linked locations absolute. So, which is to say, like, if you have all of your songs uh, packaged in your original iTunes music library, when you add them to this second library, it doesn't create a second copy of those songs. It's just, mm. it's it has a provisional, or a, I forget what that's called, a symbiotic link uh, yeah. from from right. the original library to your to your new library, an alias, basically. Similar to, to the way, again, to compare it to photos, similar to the way that when you imported your iPhoto library to the new photos, it didn't make copies of everything. It, Correct. It used symlinks to have what looks like two copies of it, but both photos. Fo- pointing to the same stream of bytes on disk. Exactly. So you can you can faux do this. And then once you have that second library, you turn Apple Music on for that library and your Apple ID. It's tied to your Apple ID. That's the I think one of the most important things that people kind of overlook. It's tied to your Apple ID. You turn on Apple Music. Um, and 
the big difference between having just Apple Music as your Apple Music service of choice or having iTunes match or having both of them together is that Apple Music alone gives you access to Apple's catalog so you can stream any of their songs or their artists. It lets you play songs that you yourself own as well as the Apple Music catalog on any of your devices, up to 10. Um, but when you or if you cancel that service, that streaming on extra devices thing goes away. And all of those songs that you've streamed or downloaded to another device gets deleted, whether or not you own them. Um, ec extra auxiliary devices and all of your Apple Music catalog goes away. So you're left with just the original songs you had on your original computer. The difference between that and Apple Me and uh, iTunes Match is that, of course, in iTunes Match, when you, you're able to stream or download your songs that you own to any other computer um, that has your Apple ID. But when you download those songs onto an auxiliary computer, those songs stay there forever, whether or not you cancel app, um, uh, iTunes Match or not. They are, they are forever on your auxiliary computer unless you delete them. They are there. They are DRM-free. Right. They're awesome. So if you just use Apple Music and you cancel iTunes Match, then your, your collection, the songs you own that you stream or download to other computers, will show up as Apple Music tagged if they can match to that catalog. And if you cancel Apple Music, those songs on those auxiliary computers will disappear. So if you want them to retain whether or not you choose to keep Apple Music, then that's when you keep the two subscriptions running concurrently. So you have Apple Music and iTunes Match. Does Do you think make it makes sense? Do you have both? Do you still have both? I still have both in part because I'm testing a million right. things. But um, no, I I have both because I have a canonical music library on my iMac. But I still I will download some things to other to other computers and I don't want my, you know, the my local music library on an auxiliary computer to vanish if I decide to camp cancel Apple Music, because then I would have to go and re, you know, re-import everything onto an auxiliary computer or I'd have to re-enable iTunes Match. And that yeah. seems like a like work. <laughs> and then it's like twenty five dollars to never have to worry about that work again. Yeah, I can I can pay twenty five bucks a year. Yeah, twenty five bucks that. a year is like underneath my I, I I give a shit threshold. Yeah, Whereas exactly. The fourteen ninety nine a month for the family plan of Apple Music is. I want to make sure we're actually listening to this. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's like this is actually this is a bill. This adds up to a significant amount of money per month. I like despite all of the insanity with Apple Music, and I really do think that the difference between the i the photos round uh, the photos rollout and the music rollout is that music didn't have a beta period mm. with people. And if they had had a beta period with enough, with a couple, you know, a couple hundred, like even five, ten thousand subscribers would be enough to hash out most of the terrible bugs they saw. Like the fact that Apple Music or Apple Music and iTunes Match users were seeing their songs matched as Apple Music. That was a bug that was fixed within the first 48 hours. But despite it being fixed in the first 48 hours, people went crazy over it for about a month and a half. Yeah. That's a really keen observation. <laughs> I, I really think you, it's that's that you know that iPhoto or photos had a beta and they worked out these kinks and music was like, all of you go sign up for this free service now for three months and they worked out the kinks like on the fly and it really 
did leave a sour taste in people's mouths. Yeah. And honestly, because it was free, they really could have just said three free free or free three month trial. And this is our beta period. This summer is our beta launch off period for Apple Music. That's what I mean. Looking at Beats 1, I listened to Beats 1 a lot in the early days, in parts because I was writing about it, but in part just because it was it was such a curiosity to me. As someone who hasn't listened to terrestrial radio in about 12 years, it was such a curiosity and such an interesting, like, highbrow, can you make this work? Um, but but Beats 1 was very much in their initial two months. And even, I mean, that interview with Zane Lowe uh, that he gave recently at the BBC or he was basically like, we are figuring this stuff out by the seat of our pants. This is very much a beta for us. And we won't know exactly what Beats 1 is or how it fits into the overarching theme of Apple Music for about a year. Like, we need this time to build it. We we built the station in 12 weeks. We we need this beta period. And so, they, like, that side was very, very honest and straightforward, even on the air, being like, we're just trying this out. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you don't. We can, you know, we want to work with you. We want to be your station. Uh, and the rest of Apple Music was very like, this is how it is. This mm. is Apple Music. Enjoy Apple Music. How do you think it's going now that the for everybody who signed up right away, the three-month beta, uh, or not beta, but uh, here I am. The trial, yeah. Reading your mind. Uh, <laughs> the trial, the three-month trial is over and people got the notices like, hey, you're going to get charged unless you cancel. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think they're doing now? It's hard to say because I don't think they've announced anything. No, and I don't think they will for a little bit. Uh, I do think that probably 50 plus percent canceled, but I don't actually think that's a bad thing. Um, I think that they knew, need to do a little bit of retooling and they pretty sure kind of realized that they need to do a bit of retooling in terms of what's really valuable. Their streaming catalog is fantastic. You know, as someone who is still an Apple Music member, their streaming catalog is fantastic. The For You suggestions are very, very good, especially if you continue to listen and like these things and like and try and and try and uh, refine your tastes. Their their curation engine is is really pretty good. And Beats 1 is really fun, despite not being a terrestrial radio person. Like, I, I will tune into that because it feels, it almost feels like being in an office as a work-at-home person, where it's like, oh, there are people occasionally talking. And they're talking about interesting music-related things. And it's not like the daily local news in your area. And it's not something so depressing as NPR to get you kind of, uh, to get your stomach in knots. Uh, it's just kind of light, fun, interesting content and good and good music you might not have otherwise heard. So I think there are quite a few people who are still kind of hanging on and and have gotten addicted to certain aspects of the service. But for the wide audience, Apple needs to put a little bit more work into it to Mm. really to really make it launch off. And one of the I mean, one of the biggest things they can do is revamp iTunes on the Mac, because right now it's still a uh, a mess is the polite word. Um, I've. I, I could say much, much hor- more horrible things, uh, but I will decline. But, you know, app, the music app, the new music app in iOS 9, people are still complaining that it's messy. But it's slightly, it's less messy. It's slowly, like, they're iterating on this and being like, okay, this is what works. This is what do- don't that doesn't. Uh, it turns out we don't need an, a more button that's going to last, you know, 15, 15 links worth of more button. Uh, we can We can work around this. iTunes still feels gigantic and bloated and uncomfortable and, and it's just awkward in weird ways i think i told you this story over the weekend when you were here in philly for the the coco love, love yeah and, and we, we hung out a little bit um but lo- long story short 
my wife had a playlist, a new playlist she made on her Mac, and she just wanted to send it to her phone and go to the gym. And the the way the new iTunes works, it's like you, there's like this weird dot 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 button, yeah. And you select the playlist, and then you go to the dot dot dot, and then it just says send to device, and then there's her iPhone, and she'd click it, and it, which seems like that's what should do. And then if you Google, you know, search for how you're supposed to do this, it says that's how it's supposed to do, and it never just it just never showed up on her iPhone. And long story short, I think that solution was to turn off Apple Music on all of her devices and just do it the old-fashioned way and connect it to USB, and then the dot, 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 send to this phone worked. Yeah, because you're actually sending it over a tethered connection. It's right. such a mess. It's such a mess. But if you have Apple Music turned on, it's like even having a tethered connection doesn't make it work. That's even worse sometimes. Like right. some of some of my playlists show up. Some of my playlists don't. It's still, at this at this date. It's like, Apple, This is the, that's the kind of stuff that could have been really valuable during a three-month beta test. Of like, yeah, hey, there's some playlist problems. Let's actually find out. And I find it really interesting. I don't know if you saw. This week, um, Apple launched an Apple Music Help Twitter account no. with office hours. No. <laughs> yeah. So app, at Apple Music Help for people's Apple Music questions. Oh my and they God. have office hours from, I think, 8 to 6, either GMT or EST. I, I need to actually look. But um. But I saw that and I, I, I quite literally laughed out loud because that's, you know, that's what I have been doing for the last three months on and off is being people's like Apple Music guru on Twitter. And now I can be like, go talk to them. They've actually built this thing. Like I other I will happily help you stumble, like try and stumble through your problem with you. Um, but, but maybe the people who have access to the engineers can fix your more high-level problems, like the fact that pressing the like button refines your tastes, but also there's no way to save a song you like as a favorite without adding it to your library, and then it goes into the mass of, like, the the bottomless pit of library. That's really awesome. I, yeah. Uh, the top pin tweet, in fact, answers my question. It is create a playlist with your favorite songs in Apple Music. Huh. There so you there go. Uh, obviously, it's a frequently asked question. Um, I'm not anyway, surprised. but isn't that that is sort of a fun, uh, you know? Again, not to really pretend like it's New Year's already, but and and get all sanguine about and, and talk about 2015 in the past tense. But uh, among other things that have happened this year, there's you know it, it has been a sort of um, uh, quote unquote new Apple. You know, things yeah. that Apple does that they wouldn't have done before. And I think having a Twitter account with uh, office hours is uh, file that under things Apple wouldn't have done before. Yeah. The new uh, giving uh, giving Stephen Levy access to the, the design team and actually having like people's not only people's names associated to what they were doing, but people's faces and pictures yeah. inside. It was just one of those things where I'm like, I would have never seen this story five or six years ago. And I'm really glad to see this story and hear more about the, the inner workings of Apple. I'm really glad that Apple is reaching out um, for help and support beyond just the, you know, the dis standard disclaimer, go, go see Apple care. I'm glad that developers are getting more of a voice on Twitter without worrying that PR is going to, you know, the, the full wrath of PR is going to come and eat them alive and then they'll never be seen or heard from again. Yeah. It's, it's a really interesting sea change. And then I, you, sorry, go ahead. Well, I, one of the things a lot, a lot like, I would like to see it, and I've been on this for years, I haven't talked about it frequently, but years ago, I don't know, five or six years ago, uh, I did a, a talk at Macworld back when Macworld San Francisco was still a thing. 
Aww. it was like the my top 10 things to be you know things to look at you know for the future things to worry about apple you know top 10 list and mm-hmm. one of them was that uh i wanted apple to go back to having put letting letting the people who make the software put their credits in the about box yeah like the whole reason about boxes were there that that's a thing in mac apps is um originally it was so that the people who made the things could could get credit for them and it went away when steve jobs came back in 1997 98 um and now the about boxes are almost useless and it's standard across all of their software where it just has the icon the name of the app the version number and a copyright and that's yeah. it yeah it's almost like why do it? You know why? It's just the only thing you really get out of it is a version number. And the idea that that, that Jobs gave back in '98 was that Apple was in bad shape and their talent. They did it. The one thing the company had, the company was in bad shape, but it had lots and lots of talent. And he was really almost pleasantly surprised by the amount of talent, you know, engineering, and and the fact that Johnny Ive and his team were already there. Um, Didn't want well, them to be stolen. Well, yeah, it was like an anti-poaching thing. But it's it, that is such the way the world works today. Nobody needs to. Nobody who's a recruiter trying to poach Apple employees needs the about box to figure out who wrote this app. No, like, <laughs> you know, and and there is obviously. I mean, if you you know, I don't use LinkedIn, but I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of Apple employees are on LinkedIn. I mean, there's all sorts of you know, and and you know, I'm sure that the best recruiters don't even need to do that. They have other. No, they they know it. Right, like the difference between the current world today and the world where. Apple employees got to put their credits in the about boxes for the apps that are in the system. Um, the difference in the amount of talent that gets poached is, I think, effectively zero. Yeah. Like, that's oh. not a good reason to do it. And I think that being able to sign your work, to me, it's it's just an important part of, you know, it's just like a, a point of pride. Absolutely. Well, it's also nice, I mean... I you know you you know Apple employees I know Apple employees and former Apple employees and when you're working on something that's secret all you can really say is I work in this team and and you don't want them to say anything more because you don't want them to get in trouble right. but after a, a feature ships you know they can say like hey I worked on that that was that thing in the keynote that was partially my you know something that I did and I I, I like that. I like be again, like you said, I like the idea that our friends and and Apple, you know, people who work at Apple can sign their work and can can be proud about their work because they spend so long and under such levels of secrecy to get it right and get it perfect and and just make a great product, uh, whether that's hardware or software. And when it comes out, like I love what Tim Cook has been doing at the last couple of events, which stand up if you worked on this. Right. Like, let's acknowledge these people and not have them hide in the shadows. Jobs did that too sometimes. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I just feel like letting, letting you know, making the about boxes relevant again as just, you know, the credits. Let it be mm-hmm. the credits for the software. I don't know. And I feel like that kind of fits with the the way that Stephen Levy's uh, behind the scenes of the new peripherals got to, you know, talk to people who actually designed them and worked on them and, and stuff like that. Yeah, it's it's very cool. Um, let me take another break here and thank our next uh, friendly sponsor, and it is our good friends, longtime sponsors of the show, Mail Route, R O U T E. Some people might pronounce that Mail Route. I don't know. I say Mail Route. Um, here's what they do: they are email nerds who do nothing but email. That's 
and what they want to do is they want to handle your email. They've created uh, the first cloud-based email filtering solution years ago. Then they sold it to Microsoft. Uh, then the same team went back and they created a really clear product, just as one thing. It is an innovative and effective spam and virus filtering mail filter. Um, here's how it works. You have your own email server, your domain name, and you get your email. You keep running your own email server, but what you do is you take your DNS records and you point the the ones for email at MailRoute. And then MailRoute, you point them at your regular mail service. So MailRoute isn't actually hosting your email. It just goes through MailRoute first, then on to the email server you already have. It works with any mail server. It doesn't matter. All MailRoute does is filter out all of the crap, spam, the virus stuff. I mean, Mac users don't really have to worry about the virus stuff, but spam is an enormous problem. And MailRoute's spam filtering is, I would argue, second to none. It is really, really amazing. Uh, if if spam filtering, for example, is the only reason that you use Gmail instead of hosting your own email, you should really take a look at MailRoute because it is super effective. I mean, like almost nothing gets through. Uh, and they have really cool stuff, very configurable, so that you can get, for example, you could get like a daily report just emailed to you at the end of the day with here are the ones that MailRoute was, it's like maybe about. You know, 99% of spam, they can just nuke and they're 100% certain that this is spam. If there's anything that they are like, hmm, I think this is spam, but maybe not, they you can get a report every day and then you see it and you say, wow, that wasn't spam. You know, click it, you go there and mark it as not spam and it goes through to your email and then they'll remember that and it keeps going. Really, really easy to set up. The hardest part is probably just, you know, figuring out, you know, going to where your domain is registered and getting the the DNS records pointed the right way. But they have uh, all sorts of stuff to help you get that going. It's easy to set up. It's reliable. And it's trusted by really, really, there's large corporations, large universities, entire universities with tens of thousands of students. And all the mail, all their stuff goes through MailRoute first because they're so good at what they do. Really is an amazing way. It's It just returns email to like the old days when there was no such thing as spam. They support all sorts of nerdy stuff too if if you're like a sysadmin and these things mean anything to you. They've got LDAP. They've got Active Directory. They support TLS. They support mailbag bagging, uh, outbound relay, everything you would want from the people handling your email. It's so great. It's so simple. Really great price. It just it it just takes all the junk out of your email, and then you don't have to worry about uh, spam anymore. Where do you go to find out more? Very easy. Go to mailroute.net. It's .net because, you know, they're like a networking service. Mailroute.net slash TTS for the talk show. And with that code, you will get a free trial and 10% off for the lifetime of your account. So use that uh, slash TTS URL and you save 10% for as long as you use them. Could be decades to come. So my thanks to MailRoute. Go check them out if you uh, host your own email server. Uh, what else do you want to talk about? Gosh, um, we could talk about the Facebook brouhaha. <laughs> Ooh, that's a good one. I, if you're talking about the same thing I'm thinking about, which yes. is the well, thing we were that, talking about yesterday <laughs> with uh, Federico pointed this out. Yes. Do you want to summarize want... this? Yes. Yeah, so, um, so Facebook eats a lot of an iPhone's battery. 
And it's traditionally eaten a lot of the iPhone's battery, which is why, uh, at least at iMore, we recommend turning off background processes. But in iOS 9, um, we were able to see not only is Facebook eating a lot of your battery, and you can see in terms of the, the battery screen and percentages, but you can now tell what specific processes Facebook is using. And it turns out, even if you have background processing turned off, Facebook can still eat your battery with background audio. And uh, what Federico Vitici theorized, and uh, based on some very clever sleuthing on his part, uh, is that Facebook is likely playing silent audio <laughs> to keep the app running and active in the background. And I, I don't know if that if that is helpful for them on the ad side too, but it's insane to me. Like what? It, it's such. Ugh, it feels so dirty. It's it feels downright malicious. Yeah. And honestly, the thing that occurs to me is and it doesn't really matter what they're doing if if it's like they're check out this tweet and this is a tweet from somebody i actually checked checked with this guy i don't know his real name his his twitter account is just his first name chad um but he tweeted a screenshot he added me and jim dalrymple and phil schiller yeah. <laughs> and this is his his oh, usage this is his usage from uh i guess that's an ipad right yeah that's an that's a an ipad mini um his battery usage on iOS 9 was 75% of his entire battery was consumed by Facebook and it was only 2 minutes on screen. This is so the the if you haven't looked at this if you go to the usage in iOS 9, Apple's really gotten this to a very fine-grained um breakdown. And the the number one thing to remember is, is in most apps the the thing that kills your battery the most is making the display go. And so, like, knowing how much of your time... So now that they tell you how much of the time was on screen and how much was in the background, it can really tell you, like, hey, maybe it's actually okay that TweetBot used 38% of my battery because, uh, wow, I was on it for three hours. <laughs> and, yeah, and you're, the you're like, all right, all right, that I understand. <laughs> uh, you know, and so, for example, if you sit there and read a book in iBook for a long time, it makes sense that it's going to use a lot of battery, even though that is obviously not a a CPU intensive application because it's powering the screen. This guy sent me this screenshot. Facebook, two minutes on screen, 15.9 hours in the background. It used up 75% of his iPad's battery. And he has the Facebook cassette not to be able to use background updates. Which is insane. That just... is insane. And it actually, to me, I honestly think it's it, it shows uh, who holds the... Uh, who holds the power in the Facebook Apple really? Like if, if you think of Apple as this mighty corporation and and you think of the App Store as this powerful tool that they wield with their own utter discretion, uh, I actually think that this makes Apple look bad and weak. It's it's almost like because Facebook is so essential to what people use their iPhones for. It's you know, by almost every account, the single most used third party app uh, on iPhone that I I almost wonder whether Apple knows that they're doing this and feels like they can't do it. Like, what are they going to do? Kick the Facebook app out of the app app store? Well, it, unfortunately, it harms them. I'm looking at my my battery for the last seven days on this. And this is crazy. 58 minutes on screen for Facebook, 3.2 hours of background. There's and no reason. It's not you, as. And do you have background updating turned off? I turned. I have it turned off for Facebook. So it's you know. We should. This is mind-boggling to me, and it's. 
I don't know. I still don't have a Facebook account, so I, I have not encountered this firsthand. It does not inspire me to change after all these years to change my mind and maybe sign up for Facebook. Yeah. And I, that's the sad thing is like, I, I was off Facebook around 2010. I was done with it. And I only went back because the people that I play roller derby with, that is the roller derby community is on Facebook. It's not a Twitter based uh, place. So I only use Facebook for, for derby. And even so it ends up murdering my battery. And I, I totally understand that. And I know how much of stuff like that I was just at, I don't know. We can talk about it in a bit, but I was at a screening of the Steve jobs movie last night over at uh, university of Pennsylvania. And it was, I thought it was like a press screening, but it was really more for like, it was like students could get in. It was mostly just college kids. And they have like a, it was like put together by like their, their film club or something like that. Mm. And the, pre-announcement like hey welcome you know glad everybody could be here uh it was like how do you get involved if you're a student and want to get involved with the club it was facebook yeah facebook group you know i'm sure that there are ten ten thousand other examples of groups where if you want to get involved and stay in touch it has to be facebook so i understand that and not everybody can be an anti-social hermit like, like <laughs> I am. but this is criminal this is absolutely insane that that they're working around you know, people who are specifically saying, I do not want you to update in the background, and they're doing it anyway by cheating. I mean, if it doesn't matter whether uh, the only way they're doing it is Federico's theory that they're playing silent audio, which lets them stay running in the background as a separate, you know, thing from the background updating option. Uh, which clearly is not in the user's interest, right? No. It's, nobody wants that. They've said, we want you to shut up in the background. Just stop. Uh, and the other thing, too, that struck me about this is this because of the insane popularity and of Facebook and how many people use it and clearly how detrimental it is to your battery, this has to be. I, I don't even think it's a maybe. This has to be a main reason for the the the. The stress about the iPhone's battery, like no, the right? force, the force quitting apps thing. Oh, that too. Yeah, I right? wouldn't be surprised that the, the, the this whole uh, entrenched uh, what did, what would you call it the way that so many it's people belief it's a it's a tenant of like using right. a smartphone where oh I have to force quit my apps because Oof. it'll make the thing run faster and the battery lo- last longer. Right I, uh, on ATP the other week, Casey List was saying he was at a football game and the guy in front of him every time he would take his phone out he'd unlock it do whatever he was going to do and then double click the home button and force quit whatever app he just used and then (laughs) turn the phone off and put it back in his pocket every single time he said, and it was like driving him nuts. But can you, so you, and my thought was this is voodoo and Apple needs to stop this because it's not helping anybody. Whereas it must be helping people because it, that way you can actually nuke the Facebook app and it wouldn't be playing the silent audio anymore. And you actually would see better battery life. Yeah. I mean, I used, so I used to use the force quit apps, technique way back when when i would go over the border between us and canada so that i wouldn't accidentally use data usage because that you know that like that is the way to ensure that someone's not leeching in the background so you'd cut everything on that but yeah i mean it seems like that's the only way to ensure that facebook's not leeching leeching data and looks at not even battery life data like right. you think about how much how much data. I don't care if the audio is silent. You're still streaming something. You are still requiring a call. And it would be really interesting to compare this with also the numbers of the the cellular data. Uh, but I but I do think you're absolutely right in that that it 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 emphasizes and it it validates the force quit theory. Where oh well of course this is how I have to use my iPhone. Um, 
And I also, I think that it might actively be skewing iPhone battery numbers. Enough people yeah. use Facebook yeah. that I wouldn't be surprised if that's cutting half an hour, an hour off of your battery every day. Yeah. And if you're going from, you know, you think you're getting a phone with a 14 hour battery and you end up getting, you know, closer to 11 or 12, that's, I mean, that, that it's a bigger problem than I think um, yeah. we've made it up to, out to be before this. Yeah. I really was not aware of it, but it's, it really seems like a, I, I don't use the word lightly, but it, it seems scandalous. It really does. Yeah. And I think it's clearly dark matter to most people. Like they're not going to figure this out. Like just going to settings, general. Uh, yeah. Setting settings, battery to find the usage now. Right. Oh, right, right, right. Settings battery, but people, you know, how many people go there? I, I, I don't yeah. think it's a lot. You stumble across it occasionally and you're like, oh, that's fun. Yeah. The only the only app that has more I'm looking at cellular data right now. The only app that has more than Facebook right now, and Facebook has four hundred and twenty something megabytes. I've got I've got the music at four hundred and thirty and Tweetbot at five hundred and fifty one megabytes. But I use those apps probably fifteen times as much as Facebook on my phone. That's crazy. Yeah, I'm looking at it. Yeah, it's it's, it's crazy. Uh, anyway, I think that it, it's, this is not the last we've heard of this. I think that this story has legs, as oh, they yeah. say, in politics. Um, but it's just crazy. Like, this guy with the two minutes on screen and 15 hours in the background <sighs> is crazy. Yeah, like, and the and the usage. The fact right. that, you know, it's not it's not just 75%, but only he, he's only used it two hours. Like, you, he has the time since last full charge there. And that's the really like, ugh. Yeah, and if you it, it's uh, you have to tap it if you're just looking at it. If you look at the in iOS nine, if you tap it and you get this little, there's a little blue clock thing that shows you the the uh, how long on screen and how long in the background breakdown. Yeah, it doesn't show that by default. Yeah, for me it's Tweetbot and and Safari. Yeah, tweet, Tweetbot, the last 24 hours have been Maps because I've been using my phone a lot, but Tweetbot, right. Safari, Maps, Music, Facebook. Right. And then Mail is the only one to me that has the big difference between on-screen and background because I don't, oh, yeah. uh, you know. But that makes sense because I have Mail set to to download my Mail in the background. Exactly. Like, Mail has a good reason to download stuff in the background. Right. And I know how to shut it off. And if I told it not to, if I said, you know, which I do, again, which I do when I go to a foreign country and I'm on like a 100 megabyte SIM card and I'll mm -hmm. just have my email set, don't don't load email until I, uh, you know, open Until I email. ask for it. Yeah, fetching. Yeah. Uh, and then it does it does that. It's it, this is it again. I, it's so easy for someone like me who who's never used Facebook and has always been sort of skeptical of the company to sit here and and complain about it. But this proves my point. Yeah. But this really does seem scandalous. I mean, this seems it's almost outrageous. Well, yeah. I mean, I look at the look at the battery, and I'm like, maps. You can have background activity. That makes sense. Mail. You can have background activity. Music. You can have background activity. Podcasts. Yes, all of these make sense. Facebook having background. I don't know what Facebook would do with background activity. Like, actively be useful for me. Maybe load more of my timeline so I can read it when I don't have a data connection. But I don't care. It like, would be curious to see what they are doing and why they're doing it. But yeah, it's, you know it. I don't know. It's really, really interesting. Yeah, I don't agreed. Know. I don't think we've heard the last of it. But you know, get, 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 uh, get your pitchforks out. Seriously, <laughs> let's yeah, let's enact change on this. Let's let's cut this cut All this right. out. <laughs> Space, uh, uh, Steve Jobs. 
movie do you want to talk about? Yeah, let me just do one. I have one last sponsor to thank, and then okay. I will tell you about the what I thought of the Steve Jobs movie. Please um, do. Uh, and we, we we should also talk about Elon Musk, which is a good segue there. <laughs> yes. Um, so our last sponsor, good friends, longtime sponsors of the show, is Harvest. Harvest is a beautiful business tool for tracking time spent on client projects. With Harvest, you can start a timer from anywhere, either your web browser, desktop, mobile device. No matter where you find yourself working, the focus stays on the task at hand. You can track hours. Uh, they appeal. They appear in a visual time report that is designed to keep your projects on time and within budget. Uh, and you can use their reporting features after you've used it for a little bit, you use their reporting features and they show you which clients and projects are making you the most money, which ones are making you the less money, or which ones might be costing you money because the time you're putting into it is just not commensurate with what you're getting paid for it. Uh, really, really interesting, the, these reporting features. It's not just like a stopwatch that you get and gives you the time you spend on a project. Um, the way they integrate these into reports and let you combine it with what you're getting paid and stuff like that can really help you figure out whether you're putting your time into the right clients and projects and stuff like that. Uh, and the fact that they have clients for everything, mobile apps, the website, doesn't matter where you are, whether you're at your desktop on a big iMac or whether you're on your MacBook or whether you're on your phone or whatever, it all is just tied into the exact same Harvest account and you don't really have to think about it. It just all just, it's just there when you need it. And it really is super convenient to have to do, to be able to do it that way, as opposed to something that is say only on your Mac. And then you've got to keep track of your time spent doing things away from your Mac for the project some other way, and then get back and log it in. Forget it. You don't have to do that with Harvest. Um, they also handle uh, invoices, uh, gives you the billable hours right there so you don't have to use a different tool when you want to get paid you don't have to use a different tool to to send the invoices out you can send them right out from harvest so where do you go to get started easy their website is getharvest.com uh and you get a free 30-day trial long trial but when you're done when the 30-day free trial is up use this code the talk show at the checkout and get this, here's what you save. You save 50% off your first month with that code. Half off with the talk show as your code. So if you do any kind of freelance work, if you run any kind of client services thing, go check them out. Harvest is almost certainly a better way to keep track of your time than what you're doing now. Um, so before I talk about the movie, let's talk about Elon Musk. Yeah. I, there was a thing last <laughs> last week where he was... Uh, who was he interviewed with? It was a German newspaper. Uh, and they asked him about Apple hiring, the rumors and reports that Apple is hiring Tesla engineers. And here's what he said. Elon Musk said, they have hired people we've fired. We always jokingly call <laughs> Apple the Tesla graveyard. If you don't make it at Tesla, you go work at Apple. I'm not kidding. <laughs> oh, Elon Musk is... He speaks his mind. That is what I will say. I mean, he's very, very Jobsian and very much like plenty of other folks we know in this in this area. I don't think he necessarily meant it the way that it came out. I think that he was probably making a comment about Apple's car efforts and not about Apple's engineering talent. But 
it's still pretty pretty bad. It is. <laughs> it, it, it's it is, and you know, it, it's Jobsian in my opinion. Yes, uh, it, it is, is a Jobsian thing to say, which is whether it's true or not. That and that to me is an interesting. That's the interesting thing, because it could be that they've done internally. They've looked at this and and they've decided that a lot of the people that. Uh, you know, engineering talent that Apple's hired away from Tesla. We're, we're not the A players that Apple is getting the B players and the A players are sticking at Tesla. <laughs> that could be true. Yeah. And he's willing to just come out and say it, or it could not be true. It could have no relevant, you know, it could be that Apple's hired great people from Tesla, but he's just saying it anyway, because he's Elon Musk. It's, yeah. Because it's Elon Musk. Right. And it, either way it works. I like it. I, I think that it's funny, and I think that it's very confident. And uh, it, the thing that people have compared it to, and I it jumped to my mind immediately right away too. Um, uh, well, well, the next thing he said was that it was the the building a car is the next logical thing for them to do. Um, but then he said, "Did you ever take a look at the Apple Watch?" No, seriously, it's good that Apple is moving and investing in this direction. But cars are very complex compared to phones <laughs> or smartphones. Uh, and I think he said, I don't have it here in this article. See, the weird thing is that the German original one is like behind a paywall. And then he said something to the effect of that you can't just go, you, you can just go to China and tell Foxconn to build you a watch, but you can't just go to Foxconn and say, build me a car. Um, and the comparison that that brings to mind is then Palm CEO Ed Colligan back in December of 2006, which was like a month before Apple unveiled the iPhone, and nobody knew what it was going to look like, mm -hmm. but rumors were rampant that Apple was going to do a phone, and he said uh, something to the effect of, we've we've been working on this for a long time. PC guys aren't going to just Just jump in. in and figure it out, yeah. Right. And the PC guys at Apple just jumped <laughs> did just <laughs> jump in and figure it out. Um, the difference that I see between Ed Colligan then and uh, Elon Musk now is that Palm in 2006 was totally stagnant. They were not making things that were amazing. They were not future focused at all. Right. They were, you know, they seemed like they were behind. Here's, here's, the, here's the quote from him in 2006. I've looked it up. We've learned and struggled for a few years here figuring out how to make a decent phone. PC guys are not going to just figure this out. They're not going to just walk in. So the Elon Musk quote does seem to it has echoes of that. But the Palm products of 2006 sucked. They were terrible. They were behind the times. They just were not exciting. Whereas Tesla is doing great work. They literally made the Motor Trend car of the year. Phenomenal work. And they're, you know, I the Model X is not for me. But even just listening to the stuff that they were talking about in the Model X, I'm like, that is, that is a phenomenal car. Like, that is a really cool car. Right. So I actually, I love it. I love that he's embracing this flat out. He's, you know, brash. And I think it is great for both companies. Like I wrote years, years ago, I had a piece that Apple, you know, Apple needs a Nikon that Canon, you know, makes better cameras because they have an arch rival for decades in Nikon mm -hmm. who makes cameras that are as good or better, uh, you know, glass that's as good or better in some ways, you know, that the competition keeps both companies better. Um, that comparison is maybe you know not that good anymore because both Canon and Nikon are sort of getting disrupted by these mirrorless cameras like the ones from Sony. But don't don't take the analogy too far. But anyway, I just think it would be great. It would be so great 
it's if Tesla keeps have kicking, a rival, yeah, right. If Tesla keeps kicking ass in between now and even the optimistic, you know, 2020, 2019. Yeah, twenty nineteen yeah. is supposedly the goal. So let's let's if the watch shipped a year late, let's guess that the car will ship at least a year or two late. It's probably we're probably looking at twenty 2020 twenty or twenty twenty one. Yeah, nothing could be better for Apple than for Tesla to keep kicking ass and. Be a, you know have a great five year run from now until then, um, just to keep the state of the art going forward. Yeah, I, I I honestly hope they do. I feel like Elon Musk again is is one of these people that doesn't come around every uh, every spring, right? This is he is a unique snowflake in a in a number of ways, and to have him basically breathing down Apple's neck, not even in a mean way, just kind of even if he just continues to make jabs and jokes. Uh, and his engineers continue to make fantastic stuff that I mean, that's going to spur Apple to work that much harder. You know, innovation, my ass is a is a great like grumpy, right. grumpy this, you know, we hate the fact that everybody's been complaining about us not innovating when clearly we're innovating. But that kind of stuff, I, I really think that does drive them in a little bit. You know, I, I, I Apple is very proud of the work that they do and the products that they make. And to have somebody even even in jest saying, yeah, Apple's not going to figure out a... You, you bet the Project Titan team is like, oh, yeah, Elon Musk? Okay, we'll show you. You know, it, it, it's good. Competition is good. And especially intelligent competition. Not like, we're going to copy your features, and then you're going to copy ours, and then vice versa. That's boring. Right. It's so different coming from the, the, the founder of... How many the, different companies now? <laughs> well, but the mo let's just just talk cars. Let's yeah. not even talk rocket ships. Right. <laughs> but just talking cars, it's awesome that to hear sort of straight up, you know, comp competitive talk from the, the leader of the most innovative. I, I don't see how anybody could deny. I mean, I don't know that they're the best cars in the world. And I know that, you know, they're still very expensive. Um but in terms of how innovative the cars are, I don't see how anybody could deny that Tesla is the most innovative company. Even just the way that they sell the cars without having dealers and selling direct, uh -huh. uh, innovative. You know, uh, to have him take Apple on is just great. The only thing I didn't like is that the next day he kind of walked it back a little bit. Yeah, and he did this by Twitter. So it, his comments, he you know were instantly they're all over the place. I, I probably everybody listening to this show saw something about him. But then the next day he tweeted. Uh, well, here's the. I'll just go back. Here's the the other quote he told this German newspaper was no seriously. It's good that Apple is moving and investing in this direction, but cars are very complex compared to phones or smartwatches. And again, that's so Steve Jobsian in my oh, opinion, yeah. because he's not going to make phones or smartwatches, and so it's such a neat rhetorical trick to just sort of say to 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 pin Apple as a company that makes these things that are easy. Which yeah. are not easy. There's nothing easy about phones <laughs> or smartwatches at all. It's not true. It. I'm not saying that cars aren't complex, or it, it, they're just comp more comp. They're just complex in different ways. It's a different industry. It's a completely different industry. Right. Um. We've got yeah. multi gigahertz Unix machines with touch screens with 60 frames per second animation that are all fit into that basically. we carry in our pockets all day. Right. <laughs> I mean, it, they are amazing devices. So don't don't tell yeah. me that you know cars are another another order of magnitude or something yeah. like that but it's it, funny but anyway on twitter he tweeted yo i don't hate apple it's a great company with a lot of talented people i love their products and i'm glad they're doing an ev 
electronic vehicle. Uh, Regarding the watch, Johnny and his team created a beautiful design, but the functionality isn't compelling yet. By version three, it will be. See, so as somebody who started following Elon Musk, I think I started following him during um, the initial dragon tests where they're they're trying to land a rocket upright yeah. uh and just because i some people were tweeting retweeting stuff he tweeted and i'm like huh a ceo that speaks frankly on twitter and that's not john lugare this would be interesting to watch uh he tends to do this pretty like do the day after responsive tweets to pretty much every interview he's done he did it after the yeah let's drop nukes on the polls comments too <laughs> that that happened during the stephen colbert where i think he just he says things and then he watches the media be like, oh, no, no, you're you're misinterpreting what I said completely. OK, uh, just just for my own personal like happiness meter, I'm going to say this. And I don't necessarily think it's it's apologizing. I right. think it's let me actually make sure you understand what I said, you peons. Right. Like it's <laughs> dialing it back a little. You know, yeah. like he's he's going to make he, he'll come out, though. And it's why he's such an enjoyable personality. And I can't help but think that having a personality like that is it really helps motivate teams, you know, and the companies that he works for in, in the same way that it did with jobs. It, by, by erring on the side of having the dial turn too high it and then and then dialing it back as necessary as opposed to being cautious and keeping the dial a little too low and then maybe trying to tweak it up a little bit you know you have to pick which side you're going to err on oh yeah too much or too little by erring on the side of too much i think it's it's how you do the impossible yeah i absolutely i mean you can't you can't win big unless you attempt to fail big and you can't uh yeah I don't know. I'm I'm it, happy with him being boisterous and ridiculous. It it did. It, it, it I thought it was fun. It did though. It it made me and, and you know again just by coincidence. The timing is this this part is tr- truly coincidental. It's just that the fact that Steve the anniversary of Steve Jobs' death was last week. Yeah, it's been four years. It, you know, every October it comes up and it hits a little bit, and it just made me think. And in some ways, it's just sad, and it just you know. Nobody wanted a guy to die. So it's always no. sad to remember somebody, you know, beloved who died. Um, but with the the Elon Musk comments, it really made me miss him because it's it, – uh, Apple doesn't need somebody who can play that role. But, it, you you know what I mean? It would have been Steve. The back and forth. Started. Yeah, the back and forth between Steve Jobs and Elon Musk on a semi-public forum would have been glorious. And going forward, making cars. Right. Yeah. To oh have, my gosh! Like as fun as it's going to be to have Apple and Tesla competing in this space, it would have been more fun if if, if Steve it was Jobs Elon Musk there. and Steve Jobs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so I may admit it did make me miss him a little bit. Yeah. So anyway, last thing I did see the uh, the the uh, Steve Jobs movie. Yeah, yeah, everybody's calling it Aaron Sorkin, uh, but it's Aaron Sorkin written and uh, Danny Boyle directed. Um. I can see why, though. Aaron Sorkin, I, you know, what all has Aaron Sorkin done? Aaron Sorkin's, uh, yeah, he's done A Few Good Men. He's done The West Wing, Sports Night, which is still one of my all-time favorite TV shows. Studio 60, which was not one of my all-time favorite TV shows. I like that, though. I, <laughs> I like, flawed, oh, I like I it. it. Yeah, exactly. It was flawed, but had some really great moments. Yeah. And same thing with The Newsroom. And the very, newsroom. F- very flawed, but occasional high points and then occasional hyper low points. Yeah. But that's... So, he, he wants, has a style of yeah. dialogue, and it is you either 
like it, hate it, or or you're maybe sometimes you like it and sometimes you don't, but it's very distinctive. Uh, and this movie is very, very Aaron Sorkin. He also wrote the uh, the Social Network movie, mm-hmm. and uh, the Social Network to me was a far more conventional movie. It was you could tell the Sorkinisms in the way that characters talked, but, but it was very neutered for for Sorkin. Like that was the first thing I ever noticed with uh, with the social network is it feels very again there's little bits of sorkin in it but it doesn't feel like an aaron sorkin production this the steve jobs is very it just screams aaron sorkin and in ways that are good and bad and the ways that's good the best thing i can say about it is that there's only a handful of major characters and they are all uh interesting um and well, with the exception maybe of Chris Ann, whatever her last name was, the yeah. the mother of Lisa, his, of Lisa, his first child, who was sort of a sort Whiny. of weird in the movie, um, and just a little a little mousy, but she was, but there she was, she just didn't have as much dialogue, and mm-hmm. and it, it made her a little unsorkinish. But um, the characters who were there were all vivid. Very, very vivid. It was not just Steve Jobs and a bunch of others. It was, you know, a bunch of very interesting characters. And the dialogue is good, and the characters are coming from interesting perspectives, and there's a lot of really, really interesting conflict, and it's entirely verbal. Um, it, I enjoyed it. Uh, I thought the last third drug a little bit. It's ba- you know I think most people know the basic gist of it. It's three acts. The first there and there are all these scenes that centered around uh, Apple or Steve Jobs' uh, product unveilings. 1984's original Macintosh, 1988's next box, and 1998's original iMac, which we just talked about an hour ago. Um, and then there's this these scenes of you know personal conflict around these events, but it's not really about the events and it's not about the products um, for the most part. Uh, I thought the third one, the third act with the IMAC, it, the scene drug a little bit. I, th- I like the mm. first two much better. This movie is, I wonder. is really good. Here's the other thing. I have to say this because I know there's a lot of people out there who listen to the talk show. This movie is really, really going to bother you if you're the sort of person who wants it to be factually accurate. <laughs> I, I don't understand why you'd go see a fiction movie if you expect it to be fact. I, I know why people expect it to to hit all of the buttons, but it was already based on a book that wasn't entire. you know? Yeah, I, but this takes liberties, though. It, it just, This oh, isn't yeah. just taking liberties. This is like... The best way I can say it is it, it, it feels a lot more like a play than a movie. And in fact, I think it could be adapted to be a stage play. For really good, yeah. Really easily. I think the hardest part would be how to stage it because so much of it takes place on stages, like mm-hmm. empty rooms. Like I almost feel like the I was thinking about it as I when I came home is like maybe the way to play it would be to have the actors pretend that the theater they're performing the play in is empty is and the, that the audience yeah. isn't there. Uh, and it, but but that's the way it 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 feels to me it didn't really feel like a movie and it's not certainly not a biography in any sense of the word like thinking about like um uh, i saw somebody on twitter who tweeted that he that he wished that uh martin scorsese would do a steve jobs biography sort of like the aviator 
Oh God, I would be so bored. <laughs> like, I mean, Steve Jobs is a fascinating character, but I just, I don't feel like we need a, I don't well, think we need a biopic. <laughs> nothing that he did was as cine- cine- cinematically interesting as flying experimental yeah, airplanes. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I really uh, like Scorsese, but yeah. <sighs> uh, oh, I, it was uh, Abdel Ibrahim. Uh, mm. whose Twitter account is uh, ABDO Photo, mm. who tweeted that, which I thought was a keen observation. If that's what you're hoping for, it is not like that at all. And it is not a story like the, you know, that, uh, like uh, the social network was. It's, you know, a melodrama about his personal life and with the, with the Lisa, his daughter. Um <sighs> Overall, I I don't know. I I kind of I, I enjoyed it, but I really had to let go of what I know to be factually true to enjoy it. And I can really see. I also can really see why his family is not happy about it at all, because some of the like liberties they're not just liberties; they're just total inaccuracies. So, uh, just to name one, and it really the movie really centers around his relationship with his first daughter Lisa and the way that when she was first born, he denied his paternity. That's all factually true. We don't we know that. Um, and, and and complaining about this is I, the knee jerk response I get when I bring this stuff up is that people think that if you're a f- people like me who is a fan of Steve Jobs want this stuff buried and we don't want to talk about it we don't want it to be out there because it's uncomfortable and it's it's ugly um, it's unfortunate that's not the case at all and, and nobody who I know who really cares about it is is saying those things and and the way that he could be uh, almost tyrannical to work for nobody is asking people not to remember that or to sweep it under the carpet. Um, they're just asking for it to be put in a context. And the thing that to me I, I could see would be so painful, it's, 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 is in the movie, he, in, in 1998, when at this iMac thing, he still hasn't reconciled with his daughter Lisa, and then he sort of does right before he goes on stage to unveil the iMac, um, which is ridiculous if you think yeah. about it. Why in the world would he be doing that Like as, like, the PR people are saying like, you know, you're 30 seconds late, you're a minute late, you know, you're, you know, did not well, it happen. doesn't, it doesn't seem like jobs at all. Besides, if you were, if you're talking about, you know, someone who is obsessively focused over right. rehearsing and all of that, you know, right. No, no one gets to come near me for 24 hours. <laughs> right. It actually, yeah, that's just ways. It, it, and the, the character that Michael Fassbender plays is interesting and he's great. He's what he is a great actor and it's a very interesting character, but the character he plays bears no resemblance to Steve Jobs. Yeah. It's so in short, what I almost wish is, is I almost wish that they had done like, like something like citizen. This wouldn't have sold because it's the name Steve Jobs that is selling tickets yeah. to the thing but like citizen kane was a thinly veiled biography of william randolph hearst uh, this, yeah and instead of naming the guy william randolph hearst i mean they had enough legal problems dealing with hearst as is like hearst almost got the the negative burned yeah uh by naming the guy uh what's his name Charles Foster Kane. Charles Foster Kane. Yeah. Uh, so funny. I remember the Foster, but I couldn't remember the Charles. <laughs> I was going to say George Foster Kane. Uh, Charles Foster Kane. They had enough problems as is. But it, in addition to the fact that it helped them legally, it just let them take liberties that they couldn't take otherwise. But the, the, in real life, Steve Jobs was married to, you know, uh, Laureen Powell Jobs by this time in the early 90s. And they had kids of their own. And that family uh, 
reconciled with Lisa at some point in the 90s and brought her in and she was living with them uh, for a time. And, and you know, whatever damage was done early in, in Lisa's life had gotten a lot better and Steve Jobs had really turned around well before 1998. Mm-hmm. Whereas this movie paints a portrait of somebody who it, it, it bears no resemblance to reality at all. And yeah, I just can't imagine. And- right. And then just the little factual things that are going to drive nerds crazy <laughs> is that, uh, like, in 1998, Steve Woz, uh, Woz, Wozniak Woz was still bugging Jobs to thank the Apple II engineering team at the, at the iMac introduction. Like, and, and, what? <laughs> and I swear to God, and and Jobs blames Waz for uh, the Newton. <laughs> what? I'm not making this up. <laughs> so if things like that would bother you, like like you like would would there's no way that you can get around them and just pretend that this is a, a totally fictional fable, loosely based on somebody named Steve Jobs and Apple. Do not see this movie. If you if you don't want to see Steve Jobs blame Wozniak for the Newton, for the Newton. <laughs> then do not watch this movie. You know, so uh, Sorg has written a couple of plays, um, and one one of them I saw pretty recently called the Farnsworth Invention, which is a, a story about the founding of television, essentially. Oh right, um, right, and it's it's a very very good show um, if you know nothing about the founding of television, which is to say it. <laughs> It centers around a, a guy named Philo Farnsworth and then RCA, who was basically Farnsworth and RCA were simultaneously developing television. And then it, it deals with basically their legal battles where Farnsworth alleges that RCA basically steals the founding of television. All of that is true. The high or like the, the pivotal point in the script, which is how the legal battle results, is wildly different from the actual results of of the world, like what actually happened in real life. And a lot of people, when they first saw the fi- saw the, the show, were just kind of like, uh, what? But Sorkin went that way because he wanted to make his point. Like right. he wanted, he was telling a story and whether or not the story actually lined up with real logistical history, it doesn't matter, it's theater. Uh, which is very much what I kind of feel like, even from the earliest trailers of uh, of Steve Jobs. Again, I really, I wish it hadn't been called that. I wish they had figured out a different title. I wish that they had taken more liberties with it. Because I think a, a Charles Foster Kane, like a Citizen Kane version of Steve Jobs' life would be fascinating. Just like a Steve, like a, a Citizen Kane version of Elon Musk's life would be fascinating. Yeah. And it's not, it's again, because it's just these three little scenes, you know, surrounding these product inventions, it wouldn't have, this movie wouldn't, even with uh, with giving everybody fake names, wouldn't have the the scope of a Citizen Kane. No. Like the epic scope. But that sort of, I don't know, or just wait a few decades, you know, literally (laughs) decades so that it's not. It's not so fresh. Right. I mean, the iMac, you know, I remember the iMac launch. I'm sure you do too. Like it really wasn't that long ago, not even twenty years back. It's uh, I don't know. If, if all the people are still like, if if two thirds of the people in, pictured in this film are still living, you have. A, I mean, Moneyball was the same was the same issue, right? I don't. I actually don't know the logistics. Like, I read the book, right? But the book and the film are a little bit different uh, in my ways. But I don't even. 
yeah, I don't know. It feels it feels weird. I don't like watching biopics, especially recent biopics, for that very reason. Yeah, I think Moneyball. I, again, it's weird, and I do realize too that I'm intimately familiar with Apple and their products, and you know, at least Steve Jobs' public life. Um, and so all these inaccuracies jump out to me, um, and in a way that I'm not quite with Moneyball because I'm a baseball fan, but I can't say that I followed the Oakland Athletics to the degree that I follow Apple. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that it, the money, I don't think people associated with it, the real people in it really had money much to complain about. Yeah. You know? I mean, I don't think Billy Bean really, I mean, how can you complain if Brad Pitt is playing you? No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, that's that's an upgrade on every level of the world. Uh, um, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, I, I, I have very mixed feelings about it. It's not, it, it was an enjoyable movie, but it's absolutely positively wasn't, had it didn't have anything to do with the actual Steve Jobs. Yeah. Or almost very little. I would have been surprised if it did, honestly. He wanted to tell a character study and he wanted yeah. to, he wanted to shape the character and the, he's been really obsessed the last couple, I want to say the last couple projects he's done with father daughter relationships too. Mm-hmm. Moneyball yes. had one, you know. Yes. Um, yeah. So I I think that that was more of his like, oh, yeah, I can write the Steve Jobs movie, but I'm not actually going to write about Steve Jobs. I'm going to write about what I want to write about. Yeah. So and that, it, fundamentally, that is what this movie is about. Aaron yeah. Sorkin, Steve Jobs is is a father daughter relationship story. Yeah. Which could and, have been great. It could have been a great movie if it wasn't titled Steve Jobs. Yeah. And even in, in my opinion, even with that, it wasn't great because I thought the third the third act was really uh, not great. Yeah, like the it just was it just didn't ring true. Not not true to like what I know to be factually true, but like it just it, it contrived is maybe the word. Yeah. Here's my notes that I wrote last night watching it. Melodramatic. <laughs> but contrived is probably a better word. And I thought even even bordering a little bit, it got a little boring in the last third. It'll be interesting to see how it plays. I'm curious to see how big of a hit it is. I will say this too, and it really made me cringe as it was a theater full of college students. Uh, good crowd. I mean, it was free. I think free movies go over pretty well. Pretty well on colleges. <laughs> on college campuses. When the when the credits came up and everybody stood up, um, there was a, a, the young woman right behind me. She said uh, to her friend, wow, if that was my dad, I'd be using an Android. <sighs> wow. I swear to God, that was what she said. Because <laughs> it's, <sighs> you know, it does not paint a good picture of him as no. a father. And I just thought, ooh, I was like, that's that's rough. Well, the thing that I don't really understand is if you really wanted to tell a father-daughter piece, you could have done a really interesting thing. Skip, I mean, I think the iMac from a product release standpoint is a pretty pivotal moment in Apple's history. But I, you know, if you really wanted to compare Steve Jobs as a father, you should have done the iPhone release because that actually gives him a family that's not Lisa. Right. That gives you know that that gives him a chance to basically press the redo button on being a father, and you want I don't know. Oh. This is me rewriting. This is me rewriting Aaron Sorkin. So I, apparently, I know better than a Emmy award winning screenwriter. But I, I'm, I, this is not a plot spoiler, you know, because <laughs> that's the thing. There isn't really much of a plot to spoil. I mean, you know, it's a biopic, right. yeah. <laughs> and they never even get because it ends in 1998. There's absolutely no no nothing about his illness or anything like that. No. Um, 
it, but it's like they can't help themselves. And it's like, oh, come on. In 1998, his daughter was still walking around with a uh, cassette playing Walkman. Uh. And he's like, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to put 500 songs in your pocket. No, 5,000 songs. Not, well, something between 500 and 5,000. But I'm going to do it. I'm going to put it in your pocket because I'm so sick of seeing you with that stupid uh, tape player. Oh, my God. And it's like, oh, come wink, on. That's stupid. Wink. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Then he turns to the camera and gives a little. <laughs> you get a little musical sting. Yeah. Uh, that's a shame. I, you know, I, I really like Sorkin. Um, he's he's very flawed as a writer, but I, I love, I love musical dialogue and yes, yeah. and the idea, yeah, the idea of Sorkin writing Jobs, or at least a a slim variation. I was just like, Jobs has great musical dialogue. Sorkin has great musical dialogue. This could possibly be amazing, or Sorkin could fall down one of his rabbit holes, and it could be, eh. Uh. I do. It, there is good dialogue. I mean, again, you have to be able to let go. And I, I am enough of a a cinema fan that I can sort of, at times, if the movie is made by talented people, I can I can disengage from whether or not the movie is drawing me in and just sort of watch it in a different way. Mm-hmm. And I could do that. And there are definitely good characters. I, I what's her name who plays Joanna Hoffman? Uh, oh, uh, Kate Winslet. Kate Winslet. Really, really good. I think if anybody gets any kind of award nominations out of this, it's going to be her. Uh, I think she's remarkable. And it's a great character. And I don't know anything about the real Joanna Hoffman, so I can't compare it. But, you know, I I don't know. But she has a super great role in this movie. Really well written. Really great dynamic over the, the, you know, the 15-year stretch that it covers. Um, And she just... it, it, it. she, she's the reason to see the movie, I think. And and it's it's a great performance and really, really well-written character. That's good. Well, that's actually really phenomenal to hear because I know Sorkin's had trouble writing women lately. Oh, I think that she's, I, she's the example. It's a great, great female character, in my opinion. Number awesome. one reason to watch the movie. And I can totally see why actors would want to play his characters because I really feel like, you know. There's a lot of meat. Yeah, there. yeah. I feel like, and I feel like I said, all the main characters, Jobs and and Joanna Hoffman and Andy Hertzfeld and Waz, and although the Waz that Seth Rogen plays, again, is I, I would say he bears less resemblance to the real Waz than, than Fassbender's Jobs does to the real Jobs. Mm. He doesn't bear any resemblance to the real Waz, not even just physically, just everything about him is very different. But it's an interesting character in a movie if you don't pretend that he's supposed to be Waz. Um and especially uh, John Scully, played by. Uh, oh gosh, why can't I remember his name? Jeff Daniels. Yeah, Jeff Jeff Daniels, who I love, and he and he does so well with Sorkin's writing. I mean, he's a highlight of the newsroom for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he he really steals the show in this too. And he doesn't have a huge role, um, but he's one of the major you know major characters, and he's he's really good, really really good. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's my talk show review of steve jobs <laughs> it's good you know good good overview i think i will see it i um, you should see it. i would recommend that you see it yeah i i mean i'm yeah because i i just i'm gonna go into it as you said with with film critic eyes on and not with uh not with tech writer job eyes on right it's it's i'll bet you'll come out and another way to put it is it's exactly what you think it is yeah um and it's you know disappointing in some ways, but worth seeing in others if you can put aside the factual stuff. <laughs> if you can pretend, if you can ignore the fact that most of the movie isn't actually true, it's great. No. But again, it's fiction. Right. I I'm not ex- I wasn't expecting Sorkin to do a 
note for note biopic when he and it was announced that he was writing it. It just wasn't gonna wasn't gonna fly. Uh, I think that about wraps it up. Let me thank our sponsors. Uh, this week we have Harvest, Time Tracker, uh, Mail Route, great service for filtering all the spam out of your email. Automatic, the dingus you stick in your car and get all the information out of. And last but not least, Harry's. Uh, you can get the talk, uh, the URLs and the, the codes by going to the website and looking at it. Serenity Caldwell, people can read your work at uh, imore.com. And on Twitter, you are, what's your, what's your Twitter name? Saturn, S-E-T-T-E-R-N. It's a good Twitter account. Uh, and, and I thank you for your time. Thank anything you. else you want to anything else you want to pimp you got uh, any books that came out <laughs> we did write a um, book on apple music if you're if you're having trouble with that uh the the big thing is actually not tech related uh, or semi-tech related and that jason snell of a uh, former Macworld and now six colors fame and myself and david lore who is a playwright and also twitter enthusiast along with a whole host of other people have put together uh a old-timey radio theater podcast called the incomparable radio theater and we're doing season one right now and we're four or five four episodes in i think of a of a 12 episode season and it's been really fun lots of guest voices that you may recognize from the tech community um and also uh you know getting cameos just left and right it's it's been a blast it's such a fun like uh late record late night put together jason does magic of editing wizardry chris breen formerly of macworld now of of apple does uh amazing music it's just it's it's a fun little thing Aren't we supposed to say he works for a fruit company? He does work for a fruit company. They, they uh, may sell apples. <laughs> it does sound like fun. I will put a link to that in the show notes. And uh, it seems as though everybody, it seems like everybody is desperate for podcasts to listen to. Because last week, uh, Marco and I were talking about Hello Internet. And Hello Internet shot up from like number three on the Overcast recommended list to number one, passing even Marco's own podcast. Um, I don't know if that was entirely uh, me and Marco's doing, but... Uh, Anybody's looking for a good podcast, that does sound like fun. And it also sounds like it's a lot different than the... uh, (laughs) Your average tech show. (laughs) Two people talking about this week's news uh, tech show. So anyway, I will put a link into that. That sounds great. Thank you, Serenity. Thank you, John. Actually, before we go, I did want to mention, uh, because it just happened today, uh, Gary Allen, who ran IOFO Apple Store. Yeah, yeah, he just passed away from brain cancer, um, which is in part why he shut down IFO Apple Store. And I don't know, I... I, as somebody, as a former Apple retail employee and someone who religiously checked that site for many years, it, it, it feels like we lost a good one today. Yeah, it really does. And it makes me sad. I never really, I don't think I ever met him. Uh, no, me neither. I've certainly linked to him a lot over the years because he was the, the definitive, I mean, what a weird beat to, to eke out. But it, I remember when he first started doing it, I was like, that's a crazy beat. But then for years to come, it was like, you know. He, and he, he never, was the source, yeah. Yeah, and if there was nothing to write, he didn't write. And if there were new stories, he wrote about them. Um, but when he stopped writing the site back in March, I was, I just thought, well, all right, he's done. But it turns out it was because he, he knew he had the diagnosis and he didn't want to um, go public with it and have people, you know, making yeah, a fuss stress over Stress out, yeah. So anyway, my best to anybody who knew him and, and any friends or family who knew him. Uh, it is a real shame. We should should call that out. He will be missed. He will. All right. Thank you, Serenity. Thank you, John. This was a blast. Talk to you soon.